Hello and welcome to another edition of Turned Out of Punk. I'm your host, Damian Abraham. Once again, I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved with punk, but had the life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, uh, one of the most fascinating episodes of this thing ever, ever, and actually one of the longest episodes of this thing ever, with uh, a very, very, uh, you know, uh, hugely influential, hugely important person in their respective field, Edmund McMillan. He is the designer of games such as The Binding of Isaac, Super Meat Boy, uh, The Legend of Bumbo. Uh, he's also just put out a massive uh, The Binding of Isaac, Four Souls Requiem, Requiem, sorry, uh, pack thing. It's just wrapped up on Kickstarter literally last night. And uh, yeah, he is just, this is a very, very interesting episode. Very inspiring, and uh, yeah, I'm very excited for you to hear it. But first, if you want to get in touch with me, head over to the email address, turnedoutapunkpodcast at gmail.com. That is run by my brother and show producer and guest booker extraordinaire, except for this one. This one was was me. Uh, but thank you, Justin, for all the hard work you do. I love you so much, buddy. And uh, he will get the message to me. He also runs the Turned Out of Punk Instagram page at Turned Out of Punk and the Turned Out of Punk Facebook page. You can find me on Facebook, uh, not at all. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Left for Damien. If you want to support the show, the best way to support the show is just by telling all your friends about it, letting everyone know that you enjoy this podcast and then we have interesting guests and you know, that's, that's the best thing to do. You can also, uh, subscribe to it and rate it on iTunes. And thank you really. Thank you very much to the people that do do that. I really do appreciate it. Uh, you can also, uh, just, uh, head over to patreoncom slash turned out of punk. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you to everyone that does do that and support the show that way. It helps keep this show going. And speaking of keeping this show going, this show would not be possible without the kind, loving support of the fine folks at Vans. And they came aboard a few years ago and said, Damien, we like what you do. We just don't like that you have to pay for to do it. So they helped me cover the cost of this thing. And there are weirdly costs doing a free podcast. So thank you to them very much for uh, helping me cover these things. All right. Uh, oh, what else is going on? Oh yeah. Fucked up has announced, uh, European dates. We've announced, uh, I think some more American dates. When I say European dates, I think we're just going to England, Scotland and Ireland, but you know, it's, it's, I guess part of it's in Europe where we're going now with things have changed. Things have really changed. Um, but we're, I'm very excited to be going on tour. We're going to be going out with faith no more in the fall. And then we're going to start doing David comes to life tours, we're going to be playing David Comes to Life start to finish for the anniversary of the record, uh, which is being reissued by Matador Records. You can pick that up there. Uh, I think on the Faith No More tour, we're, we got some stuff, you know, we, maybe we'll do some Year of the Horse stuff. Um, if Speaking of which, if you want to pick up Year of the Horse, that's Fucked Up's new 90-minute long song. Fucked Up just got active all of a sudden. Wow, it's really... <laughs> Look at us. Look at us. We're a real band again. Uh, you can get that at Tank Crime Records uh, right now and pick that up. Uh, also, uh, you can find out uh, more information about Fucked Up stuff at fuckedup.cc. And uh, yeah, that is that. Uh, I'm very tired. It's late at night, of course, again, recording these things. It doesn't seem to ever happen during the day these days, but that's fine. That's fine. I enjoy I enjoy the fact that I get to do this each uh, and every, well, twice a week now. But I, I really do enjoy doing these things, especially because I have guests like this guest on today's show, Edmund McMillan. 
is someone who I was, I got to be 100% honest, completely unaware of. Uh, I, I was not, I'm not really a, a video game player. Surprise, surprise, the guy who collects records doesn't have time for figuring out new technology. Um, but, uh, you know, I do, I, I have played the odd video game, but it's really, I got to thank my friend Tim from Hallucination who, uh, who, you know, told me like, no, this dude is, is really important in this world and, uh, you should check him out. And I looked into the stuff he does and it's, it's fascinating. Like it, it really is something that, that blew my mind that there are people making these sort of like hyper personal video games that are you know, uh, uh, challenging <laughs> to put it politely, uh, you know, uh, that are, are controversial to some people very, very much so. Um, but that, that are really kind of like pushing this envelope. And this is an art form that I was oblivious to. And yeah, I, I really do consider this stuff, you know, kind of an art form and especially, you know, diving into this world and kind of understanding it, and especially the stuff that Edmund puts out because his, his stuff is very much, um, I don't know, like there's a, a real deep kind of meaning to things he's doing in there, even if it is quite graphic and, and certainly not always my cup of tea. Um, but at the same time, it is it is something that's really important and something that is very, I don't know, just very in keeping with sort of the ethos of the show, which is the sort of compounding influence that punk rock seems to have. And here it is trickling into this new medium and, and what he describes, uh, you know, him himself doing, and you'll hear it in this episode is, is trying to do something punk in video games. And it's, this is a really interesting episode. As I said off the top, I think it is one of the longest episodes, uh, I've done on this show and, uh, or maybe I didn't say it off the top, but anyway, it is one of the longest episodes I've done on the show. It's very late. I apologize again. Um, but it, it's, I, I learned. So for, for some of you, this might be all just like, I mean, like, oh, I've heard this stuff before, you know, not all the stuff that about Edmund's life, but like certainly the stuff about independent video games and things like that. But I felt, you know, certainly I needed a little bit more education on it. And I felt, I feel like there's a lot of people out there that, that don't necessarily know about this, which is weird because it's so much bigger than anything I'm involved in. Like these things are, 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 are just so important on the, on the, on the reach that they have on the scope that they have. Um, yet it's, it's kind of unknown outside of the huge, huge fan base of these things. It's, it's, it's really interesting to me. It's, it, it, I guess it speaks to the world we're in now where there are these sort of micro subsets of, of society of culture that are just so vast and, you, you just don't necessarily appreciate it until you're inside of it. And so I really got to give a huge thank you to my friend, Tim Toolman. Check out all the amazing stuff that hallucination is doing right now. They're putting out a bunch of cool stuff in anticipation of a new album. And yeah. And also bear too. bear also, you know, talk, talk to me about how important this game was to him. And so they really brought me in. And as I say in this episode to Edmund, you, you kind of need someone to bring you into this world. So allow me to, ever so slightly bring you in to this world and introduce you to one of the uh, more most important creators within it. He has made several games that I think people would describe as genre-defining, um, Super Meat Boy, uh, he, Binding of Isaac, and he is continuing to make more stuff. As I say, he wrapped up just a incredibly 
successful launch for Full, Four Souls Requiem, which is a sequel, of course, of Four Souls, a, another Binding of Isaac card game that he put out earlier. And he's made another one called Tapeworm. And it, it, it's amazing. You're, you're about to enter a really interesting world. Also, I strongly recommend watching indie video game The Movie, which uh, Edmund's featured in as well. Uh, and some of, you know, there's other creators that are featured in as well that are, are I guess, more well-known. But it's a an interesting glimpse into this kind of, uh, this really kind of DIY independent world that is huge. Oh my gosh. Well, anyway, I'm not going to ramble on. I, I'm, I'm very excited for you to hear this one. And it's a long one. So sit back, relax, and enjoy Edmund McMillan on Turned Out a Punk. Edmund, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. It's an exciting departure from all the nerdy fucking things that I do. Well, I, as I was just I'm telling- a cool kid now. Look at, look at me. I'm a cool kid. It's so well, fucking cool. I feel like I'm, I'm relevant now. Look at me because uh, I was just talking about off air. The, the scope of what you do versus the scope of what I do was very humbling for me to kind of like immerse myself in. And as I was telling you, I've done more research for this episode than any other episode ever for this podcast. And it, it really has opened my eyes to like a whole new world of creativity. Well, I have to say it's very fucking depressing and it, <laughs> it shows <laughs> the state of music uh, right now. Um, because, you know, I grew up in the nineties when music was the Lord, you know, like yeah. music was it, especially like indie bands and people just falling out of the sky. So yeah, when it's shit, weird shit, man. Never in a million years would have thought it. Well, well it's it's just, it, I guess it's just like, it speaks to the world that we're in now and how it's changing and just sort of like, I don't know, just it's 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 an interesting thing. Anyway, we're going to get into all this stuff and, and, and deep conversations, but we got to start this off the way they all start off, which is Edmund, how'd you get into punk? Do you remember the first time you ever came across the genre? Um... Um, the first time was probably Nirvana, mm-hmm. um, right when Nevermind dropped. Probably, you know, for a majority of kids that are my age, you know, I was 12 or 13. Um, and I mean, I don't know if you count Tool as punk, old Tool, like the first, I mean, MTV, MTV showing me weird shit late at night. Mm-hmm. Um, that was kind of where it was the late 80s, early 90s. Um, I didn't, I was never like my, my, my mind. I always loved music, but uh, you know, I'm listening to the shit your parents listen to for the most part. My, my dad had good taste in music. He was actually in a journey cover band. Really? Yeah. He has a pretty good voice. That's wild. He must have an incredible <laughs> voice. That's like, if you're going to be as the singer in a journey cover band, you <laughs> got to have he, some pipes. I, I used to believe that my dad was the singer from journey before i knew what journey was because <laughs> oh he would God. sing in the car and he'd sing along to the songs and stuff and my mom would always tell me like she fell in love with him that was his only redeeming quality was the fact that he could <laughs> sing so well um my wife says but, the same thing 
Um, I, I assume you could like during an argument you can like seduce her with your with your voice in that way <laughs> yeah <laughs> i think that's the thing is my, my my yell has lost all effectiveness because it's just become like just something people have become sort of numb to in my family she just starts clapping <laughs> yeah, yeah it's conditioned response at this point <laughs> but yeah i mean um i i dropped into the grunge scene pretty hard um and i didn't f- even realize the punk influence until the late 90s mm-hmm. and then more so into the 2000s when i kind of like branched out but i was always um heavily i gravitated towards emotional music um you know stuff that i could feel by the way the person sounded the lyrics in the in the music and that was what moved me like it was like fuel for everything i did and it's kind of what I used, like in a way to express myself. It was just, I was doing what somebody who would write a song would be doing, like, but with comics initially, which I made comics and zines first. Yeah. Like I, I, I wanted to kind of find out how you got into that stuff too. Right. Cause like, this is a cry for help was like, <laughs> oh, you went that deep, eh? I yeah. watched I watched a lot of interviews because I that was the thing. I'm like, <laughs> as soon as I found out, like, like I'm like, oh shit, like where does this come from? Like, that's the thing I found really fascinating. Like the my only exposure to indie gaming came like fucked up played a show one time at a, a long gone uh um space in New York, and there was like a DIY arcade up front. And I guess you know, time has just become so weird obviously during the time we're in right now, but I think even for me just beforehand, just on tours, like they all blend together at a certain point. So I can't even figure out when this would have been, but the games I played were like super clunky and it just felt like, you know, it felt like something that just wasn't the same, but then playing your games, like this is like, I don't know. It's like a different level of gameplay. It's just, it just felt like, so what I, what I tried to like immerse myself to see where this came from, but like, yeah, this is a cry for help did come up. And so where did that come from? Like, where did that influence to do DIY comics come from? It, uh, I'm trying to think. Um, when I was in middle school, I was super into like, uh, like the festival, Sick and Twisted Festival, Spike and Mike's. Did that ever come up to Canada? I think, yeah, they, they definitely used to run it at the Bloor Theater here, like one of the rep yeah. theaters up here. A hundred percent. Yep. So, like Spike and Mike, um, I was really into uh, Liquid Television on MTV, yeah. Ren and Stimpy. Um, I uh, <laughs> I was very young, very young when I was exposed to our crumb comics yeah. um, and trauma movies. Yeah. And um, I just wanted to make comics. And that's what I, initially I, I did for a while, just like weird little little cartoon comic-y things. And um, the zine scene kind of like didn't explode here, but there, there were a few people doing doing zines in Santa Cruz um, in the early 90s. Mm-hmm. And um, I uh, kind of saw it and I was like, oh, this is how you, this is how you can, I can turn my comics into something that people will buy or at least look at. Um, and um, I just started making up as much shit as I possibly could. And then kind of stealing from Kinko's. 
Yep. Back then, you could. Do you remember when they had keys? Yeah, I, I, yeah. I 100%. The drop the <laughs> yeah. key. The drop the key. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I would do the drop the key trick, or I just buddy up with somebody there and be like, look, this is what I'm doing. You know, can you look the other way and um, just print the shit out of all my comics and sell them locally? And I even had a cool teacher that was into what I was doing who'd let me use her uh, copy machine in the back when I had stuff ready to go. Um, what kind of stuff were you making like at the time that like you know was the teacher like cool super yeah i was making yes so santa cruz is like i mean it's kind of posery now you know the art scene's dead uh Mm -hmm. but it used to in the 90s there was there was a pretty active scene you know um and uh i had a lot of cool teachers i mean i just got i lucked out and befriended a few people who you know, saw what I was about early and I was just a fucking weirdo and I didn't really do anything. Like I, my whole like high school was spent avoiding people and I never saw myself as the weirdo art kid, but looking back, I completely was like, I just wanted to draw comics, listen to music and be left alone. Um, yeah. And I didn't really take much, anything seriously. I'm, I'm still surprised that I graduated, but um, I just did the minimum amount of work and tried to manipulate my teachers as much as possible into letting me do things <laughs> like making comments. <laughs> like I, I found out early on that there was like, you could take art A and art B in high school. And then once that was over, that was it. And I remember getting pissed off and being like, why the fuck can the, these jocks keep, they can continuously play like every fucking year they can keep playing. And now I have to stop drawing. Like, this is what I'm good at. Like, f- let's figure something out. And my teacher was like, well, we could write it as an elective, well, but what would you do? And I'd be like, how about I just make a comic? Like every few weeks, I'll make a comic and turn it in. He's like, sure. And that's how it was <laughs> for two years. The last two years of, of high school for me, I would just hand in comic books um, and the teacher would give me an A and that was the end of it. And I just did minimum requirements and walked out. But um, my stuff was very weird. Like, let me, you know, if I did it now, I would not be... Uh, it wouldn't be frowned upon. <laughs> it was, it was, uh, it, it was pretty. What the fuck was that? It must be a cat. Um, uh, but yeah, pretty like. I was just trying to go as hard as I could. Very, you know, you know, back in the '90s, I was just trying to ruffle, ruffle as many fe- feathers as I could to get attention. So it was like things to do with dead babies and dick drawings and suicide murder and chaos were you familiar with like mike diana and the stuff that he was doing at that time no he was out of florida he was that kid that got busted for it and they actually ended up um like i think they sentenced him and part of the like it was like a really fucked up ruling was he wasn't allowed to draw he used to do boiled angel was the name of his boiled angel it was like a self-release comic book back then it was kind of like vaguely tied into the zine scene it was super like disturbing all that shit but like at the same time he was sentenced he wasn't even allowed to draw like or something wild I like that. that be like, well it, it got picked up as a civil liberties case and i know there's a documentary about it so i, I strongly recommend checking that out take over taking my poor memory of it i um, remember something similar happening in the video game scene um it was called super columbine massacre whoa. um and um there was this i was so there was there's like back in the day 
there was a pocket of time when like indie games were like super high art cool mm-hmm. um and there were art installations that just showed off video games and that sort of stuff cool it was, it was like a really cool little pocket um like 2010 um okay. and that time but there was um there's this thing called slam dance which would inside it, it um, coincided with sundance it was part of like the sundance film festival they wanted to do one for games i think this was the second one that they did was it always and, games like or did it start off being like an alternative to sundance at a certain point because i remember there being a film festival called slam dance i'm not sure okay i'm not sure all i know that's all i know is it was called yeah. slam dance and um i was involved in the final <laughs> the, the, it would end it <laughs> Yeah. Um, and I think the whole, the, it ended because of super calm by massacre because the guy entered it and it got approved. And once they started getting negative publicity, they pulled it. And then we all said, well, you can't fucking do that. Like, I don't want to be a part of this. And we all backed out and it died. Um, and it's, it's weird to, you know, I wasn't a huge fan of the game, but I'm all for letting the guy say what he wants to say, however he wants to say it. So I had to had to back them up there. I've yeah. definitely been I've definitely been the guy who's had to defend games and interviews, especially um, recently when it comes to like I'm, I hate being the guy who's like, well, if they want to put rape in their game, they should they should be able to do it. I don't want to be the guy defending putting rape in a game, but you know we can't be taken seriously as an artistic medium if we can't do something that they would do in a movie. Um, and I hate being that guy, <laughs> Yeah, but it's true. Um, it's, there's, it's, there's such like a, you know, like my first exposure to bootleg video games was like the idea of these ultra offensive games that were out there. And I guess like stuff that was even like, it wasn't illegal by any stretch of the imagination, but like certainly us as kids acquiring it, like leisure suit, Larry uh-huh. and, and games like that, where it was there like, were, there was an indie game called Roger Ramrod, which oh, was a whoa. pornographic first person shooter that was horribly homophobic um i got a hold of that when i was pretty young too um was yeah. this like like would this be on like a, a floppy disk kind of era or is this already in dv in like uh no DVD it was wrong. a little past floppies i think okay. i think it was around the area era where you could go to an electronic shop and get like 1001 video games on yeah. disc okay you know? totally and it, that. Yeah. It, it, it's one of those it was like probably a modded version of wolfenstein I don't know, like with every medium, it's it's it tends to be like the stuff that kind of comes out that that pushes it to like the extreme. Like I just like looking at the comic books, um, you like the the thing that really kind of like exploded the medium was the horror comics, which ultimately yeah. brought in the comic code and got it banned. You know, like it got like it's all these horror comic books banned. Well, it's it's kind of it's kind of the punk thing, right? Like you there needs to be danger yeah like there's an there needs to be an element of danger like you lose so much over time especially becoming an adult you lose the the fantasy and the magic of like you lose the danger like i'm no longer afraid of aliens abducting me when i think about them you know that went away when i was a teenager but you know certain other things like it's 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 the danger of going in that kind of pulls you in i think to art in general and makes it more immersive in some way like it feels like there's something on the line somehow Mm -hmm. and that's one of the reasons like doom was so fucking huge and wolfenstein was so huge yeah like those those games were huge because they were punk as fuck like they were like no holds barred 
we're going to do what we want to do. You know, it's, it's funny too, because I, I finally met John Romero, um, who was uh, one of the creators of Doom and Wolfenstein. And he's very old school, like metal. And <laughs> that comes awesome. through. <laughs> like he's got the flowing, flowing fucking hair, wears leather and, you know, like, hardy stuff. You got to love metal to have a BFG as like a, yeah, exactly. a weapon. In the game. So he's, he embodies that kind of, that, that, that time. Um, but yeah, I think that's definitely part of it. And for me, I was that kid who was always searching out the things that people said I shouldn't look at. Mm. And, um, and I think I make games for those people. <laughs> I, I think though, the other thing that though is, is there's like, I don't know. There's like a, a deepness to what you're doing too. Like the reason, um, you know, like, like obviously my, you know, you kind of need someone to kind of bring you into this world a little bit, I think as like an outsider, especially someone my age. And for me, it was my friend. Aren't I your age though? Well, no, but I mean like you're in this world, but I mean oh, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. you know, as so like an outsider looking in, right? Like sure. I needed, and, and it was guys my age obviously as well, but my friend Tim and bear from uh hallucination, like telling me being like, no, this game's like, I'm really like, you got to play this game. Like it's super deep and it's like wild, the symbolism and like talking about playing like super meat boy, finishing their record and how like tied to that memory of finishing their record and playing that game and finishing the game was, you know, to them and or to bear, yeah. especially like, it seems like there's like an emotional component. I guess that's what would separate it from some like school shooter game is the fact that sure. Yeah there's like an emotion that's not necessarily present in, you know, the same way, like, you know, it's not present in Gigi Allen in the same way that is present in, you know, like a, a propagandi or, or a born against. Yes. Yes. But I, yes, but I mean, I don't know. There's some arguments against the Gigi Allen thing. I mean, oh, I that's think what I'm that... saying. There's definitely <laughs> lots of great arguments. Against the Gigi Allen thing. I mean, I think, you know, when it comes to artistic freedom and this thing, you know, that's the kind of the person he was. So he couldn't help, but express himself in that way. He just, that was as deep as he went. I mean, he's, he was fucked. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, no, I, um, I, I mean, I, I can't really help but put a piece of myself in whatever I'm doing because then I wouldn't be motivated to do it. Like there, there's some purging that happens when I'm working on a new project. You know, there's usually a topic at hand that I want to talk about for a specific reason. You know, if it's, you know, trying to, usually trying to figure something out, which is what I used to do with my comics in, in weird abstract ways. You know, I talk about the things that bothered me and the things that, made me scared in some weird way. It's very akin to when, when I was like five years old, I got one of these like recorder sets where you can record on a cassette tape and I would do Edmund show. Right. And at the end of the tape, <laughs> I would say, fuck. And I would say, motherfucker. And I would say all the bad words that I, that I knew. And then I would rewind the tape and I would listen to it really, really close to my ear. Um, Cause I was trying to figure out why I shouldn't be saying those things and what made them bad. Yeah. And I think I'm just doing that <laughs> still. <laughs> I think I'm still just recording myself saying fuck over and over again. And then 
pondering, <laughs> pondering, you know, why, why that still has so much power. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I just, I, I can't, I can't help it mostly because I can't work on a project that I'm not personally invested in, in that kind of way. So I just mm-hmm. do it. It's just part of who I am. And I guess that is one of the things that's not as common at all in video games, because when you're, when you make a game in general, usually games, even indie games are made by teams of 10 plus people. Mm. Um, and you can't really have the perspective and voice of, of, of a single person if you're not only compromising, but also trying to make money and money fucks it all up. Um, money like money will make you compromise and you start thinking to yourself why wouldn't i just change the name of this character because then more people would like the game and then you it's it starts out very whatever you know like and then you start rolling down that money pit and you start you know smoothing the the edges out and it becomes a watered down piece of garbage that absolutely no one cares about. Um, and it's, it's a trap. It's such a trap. Um, but I try I, and I fall into the trap, you know, like I, I catch myself so many times um, falling into that trap and thinking about wanting more and then trying to justify it being like, well, but you know, I'll reach more people if I do this and this and this and this and whatever else. And it's like, I've gotten to a point where I'm fine when it comes to financials. I just want to enjoy what I'm doing and I want to make art and I don't really care if anybody cares. I care. Um, and if I care enough people <laughs> will care to justify the actions. Um, and that's kind of what I go for these days anyway. Yeah. And I think it's like that with every form of mass art you know like sure. um when we we did we put out this like hour and a half long song 90 minute song it's like there's like t- dozens of people like literally probably dozens of people involved in making that thing you know and it's it's very uh hard to have authorship when there's dozens like obviously someone wrote it you know but at the same time there's like dozens of people involved in bringing that to life or like you know look at a film like hundreds like i was watching of course we were were watching the credits of x-men 2 with the kids the other day and it (laughs) went on forever um and there's no cold ending by the way on that one so don't worry about trying to rewatch it to all the way to the end of the credits but there's like a thousand people involved in making that movie yeah it's i mean it's the same for games like i'm still blown away sometimes when i see like an indie game because people used to you know get into little pissing contests about how indie they were back in the day you know, okay what, what, what's your fucking budget you know all that how many people all that oh, i know that i know that game very well yeah. that, that, that <laughs> is, i can relate to this yeah um and uh i remember we would scoff at a million dollar budget for an in, for an indie game are you fucking kidding me like i don't make any money <laughs> like and i'm going head to head with a million dollar budget and then it felt good if you like even got close to winning you know whatever contest um and nowadays it's fucking you look around and there's surprising high budgets for games that you don't even know exist. Um, well, the stakes are so high, right? Like if incredibly. you get, 
if you get a hit game, it's like it's like millions, right? Like how many millions of people would make like like a like a a game that's like charting on like Xbox, like you know that's millions and millions of people buying that, right? Kind of. I mean, not at all, not all right away, but um, but yeah, like games sell millions of copies for sure. Yeah, it's uh, very, the popular very ones, but, <laughs> but like uh, I mean. To put it into perspective, though, so and I feel guilty for almost perpetuating some of this, especially with Indie Game in the movie, because, you know, back when Indie Game in the movie was filmed, it was a it was a small pocket. So I started making games in the early 2000s. Um, I didn't know I was making games. I was making interactive websites um, back. It was it was a new scene. It was a new it was a scene called the EN scene. Everything, nothing scene. OK, it was very zany. Um, in fact, one of the most popular websites called newgrounds.com was based on a zine called Neo Geo zine. Newgrounds meant Neo Geo. It was a, it was a fanzine for Neo Geo. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And where's that I, zine based out of? Sorry. Like we're from uh, Philadelphia. Oh, okay. Weird. Awesome. Yeah. Um, I know they're up in Philly. That's where they're still based. Um, okay. And uh, Tom later went on to, he uh, made a company called the behemoth which made fucking huge, huge indie games. Okay. Um, Alien Hominid, Castle Crashers, Battle Block Theater, and a bunch of others. And um, yeah, the, that scene was very much Wild West time internet. You know, there's, I don't know if you remember the styleproject.com. It was like a half gore, half porn site. Oh, vaguely, um, definitely. Is it like around like something awful era yep something you... awful x entertainment fugly um, um faces of all... death.com was yeah another... yeah it was it, no that was um it, it was it's close um it's called um rotten rotten rotten.com rotten. rotten. yes. ogreish.com all that shit yeah that, i was i was one of era. one of those web kids and i had this is cry for help um and i mostly posted my comics um, and that's how it kind of started. Uh, and then I kind of branched out and I was known as Edmund dead baby McMillan. Um, and uh, I started making interactive dress up doll, dead baby flash animations. And then those, those became games slowly, but surely like I started, I built a very small fan base, got contacted by a programmer. His name is Calder. And he's like, let's make a game together. And I made this weird game called Carius Weltling and clubby the seal. And, um, I, I, I didn't make any money. <laughs> I was working yeah. at GameStop. There was absolutely <laughs> no money in vid in video games at all. Um, I worked at GameStop. Um, I for a period of time I quit. I because I couldn't hack it. I could not pay rent. Um, and uh, even with both of us working and living in one room in Santa Cruz, um, I couldn't do it. So I I quit and um, I became an animal control officer for a year, which was quite fun. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and inspiring in some ways and they put me on deads so i would go scrape animals off the road which i had no complaints i i you know it was interesting you know <laughs> a friend of the show david up uh new jersey punk rock legend is a is being an animal control officer for a long time is and is now uh i, I forget what his actual rank is now but yeah definitely a, a profession that is a, a friend of the show too it's it was cool like honestly if i wasn't fired which is a whole thing in itself um i would have just been doing it i loved it i really did it was really cool it was it was fulfilling it was always different and i didn't have to i mean it sucked interacting with people 
you know, cause you're like half cop, half, you know, wrangler. Yeah. Um, so the people part sucked, but for the most part, the other, the other people that I worked with like doing that, but, um, I was fine with rescuing wild animals and scraping dead animals off the road. It was a very fulfilling experience, <laughs> but I, I lost, I got, I got fired. Um, and, um, uh, I got, I got fired for quitting. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. I got fired for quitting. I quit because they were conspiring, um, against me and I caught them in the conspiracy. There was this weird situation where animal control was run by the SPCA, which was independently owned and they were going to go County. Okay. And the County required you to have a high school diploma in order to continue. And I was the only one with a high school diploma that worked there, including my training officers. Um, and shit got crazy. I'm on night calls and I have to trust these people that they're going to be my backup, you know, and I'm not even, and they wouldn't, they did this fucked thing where they wouldn't discharge. So I took, you had to take gun training and you had to, you had to be able to shoot a gun. Um, and, um, I took those classes and your training officer needs to watch you shoot a deer. Um, What? Yeah. I mean, it's part of it. You have to shoot in front of them. You, they, you have to show them and, and they have to like, okay, that you're like, well, you can kill do this. An animal, so I, I, I remember getting a call. No, this it's just like being able to do it. Okay. You know how to, you know, how to, you can show the training officer that you can load the gun and shoot properly. Yeah. <laughs> um, and they would never let me do it. And I always thought it was weird. And I kept being in situations where I'm like, okay, this is the time. Like this animal has both of its legs are missing. It's rotting. It's cobbling on the ground it's time to shoot this deer and they wouldn't let me do it. And I've, I fucking found a notepad document on the computer that said Edmund McMillan on it. <laughs> and it was just a list of all of this shit that they, they were documenting claiming that I was doing like that. I didn't clean the van out. I didn't feel like, like just petty <laughs> shit. Yeah. And then it's like, Oh, also um, refused firearm, whatever. Oh, all this bullshit. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, what the fuck? And I, I remember talking to the person in charge about it. I'm like, there's shit that is going on right now. And they're like, I'll handle it. Don't worry about it. Everything's been fine. So I'm on a night call, um, 24 hour, like, uh, well, not 24. It's a 12 hour night call. I have a fucking walkie talkie next to me and I get woken up all whatever. And I got this call in Watsonville. It was, it was for um, a very, very large uh, pit bull who was actually a fighting pit bull in Watsonville. Um, it was, I was scared shitless. This thing was head was so huge. Um, turned out it was blind. It was, it was blind and blocking a woman's door. She couldn't leave to go to work at five in the morning. And, um, the dog was super sweet and it was, I was so, it was so like, and I took it back and I, I kenneled it. And, um, and by the time I got back, it's like seven in the morning and, and my, uh, training officer shows up and they're like, I'm like, here, I'm not working. Obviously, I'm not working today. I'm not on today. Here, here are the keys, you know, guns in the car. She's, she already, she's like, yeah, I got my stuff. I'll be heading out. Okay, cool. The next day I come back and um, I get called in. They're like, we need to talk to you. Did you leave your car unlocked with a firearm in it? And I was like, absolutely not. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I gave the keys to Deborah and she fucking said she was she's got in the car as i left and she's like well deborah said that you know you left the keys i'm like you know what you know i'm gonna roll the dice here i i didn't say that i can't fucking tea that deborah has her car unlocked and has the firearm in it let's go look 
and I rolled those dice and I was fucking right. And I said, I fucking quit. This is bullshit. Like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to fucking trust this person who's conspiring against me and lying to try to get me fired just because they're worried about their, you know, looking good compared to other people. And I said, I'm, I'm, I'm done. And then like Deborah tried to fight me. (laughs) It was just, it was a fucking, she stormed out and she was like, you know, and she was a, you know, like a Buffalo woman. You know, she was she was running me down and uh, she got in my face and told me she was gonna make my life hell and I said, well, this fucking, I'm not coming back. <laughs> like, God. I'm done. I'm done. You win. And, and uh, <laughs> so I split. And uh, for a week, they called and said that they would raise my pay, said that they would reprimand her, yada yada yada. I remember talking to my stepdad about it and being like, like I don't want to, I don't want to do something out of spite if it means me, cause I knew we were going to have to move out of the place that I got, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. and I, I'm going back to living in a, a room. Cause we had, that's the first time we upgraded to, you know, a, a tiny little apartment in a bad part of town. And I'm like, well, it's all fine. And my stepdad's like, you know what? Fuck them. Go to work, do your job, come home. I did it for two weeks. They found somebody else and they fired me. And that's the story. <laughs> <laughs> but it, that was, that is the most pivotal moment of my fucking life. Like, being fired from that job made me so fucking depressed. <laughs> I felt like the biggest failure and the biggest joke in the fucking world. And I remember thinking, you know what? I should try. I should try to make money off of my art. I should try. I, I don't feel like I ever really tried. Um, and um, my wife was reading this book called, I think it was Diary of a Teenage Girl. Um, okay. And I think in the book at some point, they talk about the key to success or what, what, what she did to succeed was you write something down that says you promise yourself that you will do at least one thing to advance your career and grow as an artist every single day. And I said, fuck it, I'm going to do that. I'll do it. And I did it. And it was the most profound experience. Every single day, I hustled as hard as I fucking could. I did free work for as many people as I possibly could. And then once I said, hey, look, I'm better than whoever else you got, hire me. And they did. And I kept doing that and kept doing that until I could pay rent at a, a room, <laughs> a room, a room in a, in, a, in a dorm situation for UCSC, was where we lived. Um, but I was afloat. I, I stayed afloat. You know, I was, a, I, was, I was treading water at this point. And that was around the time where I had enough enough leeway to spend leisure time working on games and doing art again. And it was around that time where I found out about a company called chronic logic. Sounds like a weed company, but it wasn't. We used to get calls all the time and they would be like trying to buy weed. <laughs> I can sell that URL. There's a lot of yeah. uh, weed companies out there too. <laughs> you probably would sell that URL, <laughs> but, um, uh, and I was kind of making games, you know, and these guys were making, they made this game called Bridge Builder. It was a bridge simulation game. And I was kind of in awe. Like I was kind of in awe of what they were doing. Cause it, 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 even though I was kind of doing it, it felt legit in some way. Like they were selling their games. Like they weren't putting them up for free for people to play on newgrounds.com. You know, they were, they had people paying upwards of $20. 1999 was the going rate of all indie games back in the day. And they were actually making money. And I was like, 
can I work here? You know, let me work for free for a little while. And if I'm good enough, can you hire me? And they said, yes. And I worked there for like six months and eventually pitched an idea for my first sold game, which was called Gish. And um, worked on that for about a year. And they entered it in this thing called the IGF, which is the Independent Games Festival. I had no fucking, this, this whole world was, I didn't know existed. Yeah. And um, it got nominated. And I went to this convention and watched people play my game. And it was the fucking coolest thing in the world. And from then on, I was like, I want to do this. I want to, this is, this is, this is the closest I'm going to get to singing on stage. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, this is, this is the, this is it. Like, this is what fills me up. Um, you know, just that little bit, just seeing a few people like laugh and enjoy what I'm doing made me feel so good about what I was about. And then I could kind of see the art form as this like really new art form that was so easy to be innovative in, you know, cause it was so fresh and I could pull from all my experience with, you know, comics and, and music and everything else. And I could innovate around, you know, this limitless mechanics and, you know, player interaction. And um, I got to basically riff off of, old games that I played as a kid, you know, and kind of make them my own. That's kind of what, <laughs> I mean, my successful ones anyway, like super meat boys, just a riff on, on super Mario brothers, the same initials. Um, and the legend of Bumbo or the, you know, the legend of Bumbo, sorry. The, uh, that was another game. Uh, the binding of Isaac is a yeah. play off of the legend of Zelda. Um, and it's a riff off of the legend of Zelda as well. So Yeah. So where did you like, like, how was that process for transitioning? I guess you're doing it on the websites, but like your art to, to like kind of this completely different medium, right? That you're, you're working in at this point. Like, were you someone that was like versed in computers as, as no. like, like, was that like just something you picked up? I hate, I don't program. Um, yeah. I have no interest. I'm not a computer guy. Yeah. Uh, everybody assumes I am and I'm not. <laughs> They're like, can you, your son makes video games. Can you come fix my computer? And it's like, no, <laughs> I cannot. I can't fix my computer. You know, uh, it, it, it's just one of those things where like I learned, I learned the tools to, to, to make cool stuff with it, you know? Yeah. And then I don't care about the rest. And I let somebody else deal with that. It's a very left brain, right brain, right brain process. And I like to work with programmers who are the polar opposite of the way I am usually. Um, very, very analytical and technical and, you know, robotic <laughs> in a way. So I can be the overly emotional drama queen. Um, oh, I know that role. I definitely know that <laughs> role in the project. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, I mean... You know, in a lot of ways, it's, it's like, it's like a band, you know, it's, it's, you've, you've got, you got the guy who's like kind of writing the music and then, you know, I'm more of the guy who's writing the songs, the, the lyrics and singing. Um, I, but I, I mean, even like on like, a, even like a more bass level than that, like I draw all the time, right? Like, and I'm in the process of designing all these t-shirts, but I find like, 
I cannot figure out how to represent them in a 3D world and to like the process of taking 2D art and and transferring it into and like obviously I know you're doing like side scrolling in a lot of time but like at the same time like even the 3D perspective that your characters have and the fact that they do exist in a in a somewhat 3D dimension I just find that transition to happen really interesting in terms of style and stuff like that like were you always thinking in terms of animation with the style of art that you were doing no i mean honestly animation is just the like the illustration even though i'm you know i, I love character design i mm. love story i love writing the story i love drawing the characters and creating the characters I'm not a huge fan of drawing anymore you know really <laughs> it's it's yeah um i i i've become more obsessed with design okay um so the design is where it's most fun for me tying in a a mechanical experience into an emotional feeling and a story and, and theme and putting all these things into, into one cohesive, you know, semi-abstract uh, thing that you kind of experience. That's really fun. Um, so it's, it's never like, I never go in thinking about anything other than like, perfect example going in so when i made the binding of isaac mm -hmm. <clears throat> i came off of super meat boy and super meat boy even though it was weird and it was very much me it was a it was the closest to a compromise i could get so i i saved as much money as i possibly could to what i worked for what i thought would be a year but turned out to be two um on this project so i knew that i was investing so much in it that i had to I wasn't going to double down on something that I felt like wouldn't appeal to a larger audience. And after doing that, I felt the need to push really hard in the opposite direction. Kind of like, I guess in a way I almost felt like I had sold out and I needed to like represent what I was about because I made so many fucking weirdo games before super meat boy yeah. and super meat boy was not even close to a weirdo game. It's just, it's just cute and whatever. Um, and, uh, I wanted to just do something punk, I guess, you know, I'm like, I'm the guy who made a game called, and you know, where it was an incredibly graphic depiction of a diseased vagina, you know, it's just, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so like going, you know, having that, having my roots there and being like, you know, I want to kind of flex that muscle and be like, I want to do something that's not only, that I, where I don't care at all about who plays it, who's going to play it, you know, who it's going to upset. Um, and I want to write it about myself and I want to write it about something that matters to me. So I can't, uh, you know, you come up with a mechanic and it's like, okay, I want to do, it's called like a, a roguelike formula. So it's a randomly generated formula. Um, I was really at the time into arcade games. And there was a certain magic of old school arcade games because you got to play them repeatedly and it was never the same experience. Yes. And games pushed away from that and they turned into linear stories. Uh, and I wanted to, I, there's a, those genre called roguelikes, which are kind of randomly generated games that are meant to be played multiple times and they have permadeath. So it's kind of this harsh um, situation where you can't continue, you know, once you die, that's it. And that's the end of the experience. And I wanted to riff on that um, mechanically. Uh, it felt more true to life. You know, it felt more like animal control. You know, every day, I don't know what the fuck's going to happen and uh, I'll die. 
<laughs> but uh, uh, it it was very interesting to me and something I wanted to explore. And um, when coming up with the technical side of generating rooms that would always be random and stuff, I thought it would be cute to riff on the Legend of Zelda, which had the dungeon structure that I'm kind of playing off of and the perspective that I was playing off of. And I thought, well, if I'm doing that, you know, Miyamoto made that game based on his childhood. And it was supposed to kind of simulate you. It was supposed to be like this world in a sandbox. And you could go out and like push a rock over and bugs would come out. You know, that's sort of, it's that exploration as a kid, which I thought was super cool. And you could kind of feel it in the game. And I thought, well, what did I do when I was a kid? <laughs> and it, it kind of snowballed from there. And it was like, what did it feel like to be me when I was young? Well, I felt like a fucking weirdo. I felt like an outcast, you know, and, and I, why did I feel like an outcast? Uh, well, because, you know, my parents were super fucking religious and I got a lot of dogma coming from all ends, you know, as a kid, because I was into the weird shit um, that they said I would go to hell for looking at. And, you know, and I got to go deeper and deeper into that and be like, you know, you know, write about feeling lonely and just write about feeling like I don't fit in and, and wanting to be different and, and uh, trying to abstract that out to the maximum, to the point where like, I'm using my sadness to fight off my demons, you know, like I'm, I'm receding into my own dreams and my mind and I'm going deeper and deeper and everything's like falling in and caving in on itself and things are just all warped and, and I had a really good time making it. I made it in three months because I thought it was so weird that people yeah. would not want to play it um i even considered selling it to adult swim like they were offering upwards of thirty thousand dollars um for <laughs> for an ip and i was like you know a lot of my a lot of my peers were doing that so i was like well you know this is just a piece of shit flash game and it's so weird and um i remember my wife like getting nervous about some of the subject matter and she's like you know you don't want to upset those kind of people and I always thought, well, those people don't play these games. <laughs> like, you know, I'm not going to have some religious nut come and, 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 and track me down because I made The Binding of Isaac. Um, those people don't play the video games and they don't care about this shit. This world won't cross over and I'll be okay. But that danger, though, that little like, am I doing something that I shouldn't be doing? Was definitely the nail in the coffin for definitely happening. Like, it was that, that nervous feeling the like butterfly feeling of feeling like I'm doing something that might upset somebody because maybe it matters more than I realize. Mm -hmm. Like, do you ever have to worry about like these marketplaces that you deal with like Nintendo or, or, or Microsoft or like, you know, like do these places ever go like, yo, we're not carrying this kind of content. Like, Oh yeah. So that's a thing that enters into it too. Oh yeah, but I mean, I don't fucking care. But the yeah. yeah, Nintendo rejected the Binding of Isaac for years. It took quite a few years, and um, I actually had to get a publisher to remake the game, um, <laughs> and then push it um, and push it hard. It didn't. It didn't happen until they had a you know changing changing of the guard, which usually those big business things happen every you know five years or whatever the people yeah. just switch out and somebody new comes in and you try to finagle that and be like well you know what if we what if we just release on you know it's 
I think I think it was painted as it was an homage to Nintendo. So, you know, <laughs> but we were like, and we had to, so when you sell yourself or you sell on Steam, so Steam is the PC, you know, portal for the most part. That's like, it, they have the monopoly mm-hmm. and they don't give a fuck about what you do. Okay. They will, they will put it up. I mean, I think they pulled a few hardcore porn games sort of stuff off off of the they have some regulations but for the most part they're fine with whatever and you don't even need to do esrb so esrb is the you know the comics code type thing yes and um i never had to do much of that but i had to deal with them whenever i do whenever you get on console you have to deal with esrb which is fucking hilarious with the stuff that i do because i have to list everything that's strange (laughs) you know about it and the crazy thing about the binding of isaac was in a lot of places especially with nintendo a lot of the pushback that we got was because of blasphemy which you can't do (laughs) because what something that's blasphemous to one person is not blasphemous to somebody else yeah um you know and that actually got a lot of especially in germany like, because uh, Binding of Isaac got like banned from certain things in Germany, and that it actually caused like this big thing over there where it was like, you know, you can't do that. Like, you can't you can't say something is blasphemous. You can't you can't define it based off of you know Christianity or whatever else because well, there are your, multiple. Yeah, it's your experience, right? Like that's what this game is ultimately about: is your experience with Christianity. For sure. Um, and you know that was kind of an interesting talking point for a while, but uh. Yeah, eventually Nintendo was like, sure. And I had to get the ESRB and I had to list. <laughs> I should just find that list one day because it's like yeah. this giant list of horrible things that look so bad when they're written out. But in the <laughs> end, it's like there's only a few ratings. You know, you've got E for everyone, you've got T for teen, you've got M. Yeah. And of course it's an M, you know? Um, even though I think, you know, you know, an eight-year-old can play it and it's not an issue, but like the, the most egregious thing in the Binding of Isaac, according to ESRB, is the fact that he takes pills. He yeah. eats pills, on unknown pills, and gains effects from them. And that was the, that was the biggest one. But it's pretty crazy to, like, see their, like, they, they, they're, like, really specific. It's like, do, can you kill something? Yes. Can you decapitate it? Yes. Um, can you interact with its head when it's decapitated? Yes. Can you damage its decapitated head it's called post-mortem damage yeah. and it's like all this weird scale of like arbitrary things that they do it's just it's funny i mean it's just a fun experience because you know i know i'm getting an m it's whatever but it's still fun to get this back and forth with these people who are asking me like how long uh is the fart uh <laughs> <laughs> And that was a thing. That was that was the reason why Super Meat Boy got a a, a T for Teen was because there was a very long awkward fart. Are you serious? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's fucking amazing. Yeah, but yeah, it, it's like the PMRC thing though, where like these ratings become almost like a badge of honor, like where you get that parental advisory sticker on your record. And that... uh, no, because they all fucking do it. But okay, yeah. Um, th- there's one game that got it like an NC17 rating once. It was called Manhunt two um i guess that has the badge of honor but well i'm night trap what would night trap get night trap did you ever play it oh yeah i don't take a cd and it's, it was I'll, the most mundane like it was nothing happened in that game that anybody could, should have got ever gotten upset about i watched sure. a, i watched a playthrough the other day just so i could finally see the end of the game because it was so fucking hard 
<laughs> like yeah. it was it was also like that that era of games, all the games that like had the best graphics were impossible. Like Dragon Quest or what was that was that one Dragonlance yeah. was one of the arcade where it looked like a cartoon? Uh uh that was um Dragon something, right? Dragon's Lair. Dragon's Lair, that's it. Dragon's like Lair space and one. Space Ace. Space Ace. Those, I watched those playthroughs too. Just I so played I the fuck them. out of those too. So I think we both had Sega CD then, right? Because that was uh, on yep, the Yep. I didn't I don't think I had those games for Sega CD. I was thinking I was playing them in the arcade. There was one that came out for Sega CD. I don't remember what it was called, but it was an anime where you were like a ninja, but it was very, very much the same. Oh, whoa. I played the, the yeah, like the Sherlock, no, Jack the Ripper game, maybe. We tried to stop that. Jack the Ripper. I think I know. It, did it actually have like video of people? Like global, Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. It was yeah. one of those games. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, it felt like at that point, all the best games had like the worst gameplay. <laughs> like, just. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. Like the whole era from atari on like there were some major growing pains for sure but well, the crazy thing is is like going back to like the original arcades and stuff like arcade games and stuff like that you'll find that like there's some pretty interesting stories behind those because those games were usually made by one person mm-hmm. and a game like um missile command yeah uh the guy who made that was like obsessed with like cold war stuff like he was grew up at a time where he was so worried about being bombed by by russians yeah um and he made that game about it but also he he thought it was interesting to make it so you were always defending and you're never attacking it was this it's like barrage of bombs forever um i thought just little subtle things like that it's like the little choices that an artist would make um that stand out as interesting because they're a piece of who the person is that created it makes it just so much more special when did that shift where it became something and like i guess that's ultimately what you guys are reclaiming like i find it so allegorical to like punk rock too and like music where you have like rock gets so big and bloated and then there's like this wave of bands that are like no no, no you don't need any of that like it's just yeah. people in vans doing it and it's like that's almost like what you guys are ultimately are is like the same people like obviously on a much much more successful level than anyone in the van ever got to but uh but it's still like it is very similar like the the way it kind of went from the outside i mean yeah no i know for sure i mean everything kind of i think goes in waves like that and it's you know it you know the 2010s and a little bit earlier like 20 2008 to 2012 i think was like the indie boom Mm-hmm. and um you could you could it, it there it wasn't overflowing with people that were jumping on board and trying to make games and stuff it was a, a fairly small intimate gathering of of people who had mostly been doing that for many many years um and out of nowhere microsoft and nintendo and steam are like we want indie games and those games became bigger than the AAA games that were being released at the time. Like, um, and it was, it was just because like we had, we, we had this unfair advantage and the unfair advantage is the fact that we don't fucking care. Like <laughs> when you're, when you're in a company of hundreds of people, you cannot take a risk. There is no risk taking at all. You're everybody's lives, <laughs> you know, your, your future, your company will crumble and you see it all the time these out of nowhere these you know these huge companies come up 
and they just die within like three years because you know they they doubled down on something that just didn't work mm. um and when you're indie you don't care because what's the risk <laughs> lose three months like it's you learned you learned something you know and you gain uh, followers and you gain some experience like it's uh that's what i always tell people too coming in it's like my number one my number, my bet, the best advice that I could give you is if you want to make video games, number one, make sure you're doing it for, indie games. I mean, if you want to get a job at a company, it's a whole different story, but if you want to make indie games, do it for fun first, keep your job, you know, yeah. and do it and make sure you love it. If you fucking love it, you're just going to continue doing it regardless, but make as many small projects as possible. And I think it would go, it's the same way. Like no one's, no, no bands coming in and being like, our first album is going to be a double album rock opera. Yes, they you are. Know? They're not they're <laughs> not necessarily doing it right. But there are definitely bands doing that, unfortunately. Well, no, people, and then in the scene, there are people that do it well as well. And I know those people and they've been doing it for 15 years and it's not out yet. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, yeah, you never, you never want to make that mistake kind of going in. You want to, yeah. you want to learn, get your feet in the water and make as many little things as possible. Awesome. This is getting to the point where I give you a tap out option too on the episode. So don't worry if you have to take off. We can wrap up here. Oh no, I'm you. I'm 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 good until I hear screaming from above. Okay. Well, I also I appreciate you walking me through this. This might be the most rudimentary conversation you've had about this subject. Well, um, it's, it's it's fine. I mean, I feel like I can talk. I don't know, a bit more arty farty about things. In no, this I appreciate. Environment. I, I well, that's the thing. Is like I find what you're. I find what everyone kind of is taking this thing. And I mean, that when I say everyone, I mean, like, uh, you know, like people that glitched out, uh, you know, Game Boys and, and started making music out of that, you know, and built yeah, a yeah. whole genre out of doing that. Like people that have found ways of like taking creativity to new places, you know, and, and found different tools to kind of do it with. It, I just find that process just so fascinating. For sure. Um, it's it's always interesting when like a new medium kind of like pops up and it's like what potential does this have you know what especially like what you're saying like the fact that this does herald back to to like all these old games you know like i don't know there's this like this weird moment where we did david comes to life and there was this guy who worked at um like he was one of the guys that worked at rockstar games but he was kind of like leaving rockstar games mm -hmm. or something and he wanted to do like a video game adaptation of, really? of like the <laughs> the record somehow um and it was just like this whole new way of like looking at video games that i never really you know i'd always engaged with video games like i'm a part of the generation that grew up with it but i guess just like just being completely oblivious to the idea that oh yeah this is like an outlet of expression just like anything yeah. else is an outlet of expression well they're not really helping it you know like and i feel like Quite honestly, I feel like a fucking alien in the industry. I feel like a big weirdo. I used to do panels and stuff. Mm. And like, I just look like an asshole because I'm like scoffing. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, I'm sitting up here. Like, I didn't know I was going to be sitting next to the guy who was talking about how to exploit people for money. It's like, like, I'm sorry, but I'm a fucking weird art nerd. And I don't outfit in here. <laughs> and I, and I'm. You know, uh, there's a there's a handful of other people I think I have kinship with when it comes to just kind of utilizing this as a, a fun way of means of expression. But 
it's, you know, it's a business and it's, it's as, it's as businessy as movies, you know? Yeah. And it's the, it's more complicated than movies. So it's like, it's, it's too hard to not have money get in the way because you need funding and you need people to believe in you and you need to pay people. And, you know, it's like, there's so many moving parts. You have everything that goes into a movie. Then you also have to have a programmer that actually makes it work. And then you have to have a designer that makes it interface with a human being and, and makes the experience, you know, worthwhile. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm for all types of video games. Um, but I lean towards games that are designed to be experienced because I don't think there's any point <laughs> really to having a game. That's just like a movie. Yeah. Um, yes. uh, but... Preach. No, I just mean preach on that. Cause <laughs> no, like that's the thing is I felt like uh, there are certain engines that I love in, in mainstream video games, you know, and, and like, you know, like, um, and this goes back, like, you know, like the, the engines for, uh, like kind of the, the wrestling games from the NWO yeah. world tour and all those stuff. You I played, did you play fire fire pro? I, I that's the thing I was wanting to get into with you because I find the cultural impact of video games so big. Cause like, you know, that whole world of translating the fire pro manual into English is really begats like a whole section of independent wrestling out of that scene. The like, fire pro is the shit, man. That it, game was amazing. Did you play it back in the day? Yeah. Oh, wild. Like I'm fat. Like I didn't get into it till way later. A friend was like, I was pretty into wrestling games. I mean, well, so I didn't get it. I I got into it before it got remade. Um, I got it. it, I got into it during the NWO days uh, when they kind of copied the, Mm -hmm. you know, they did a 3d version of that. Um, Yeah. uh, No mercy was the second one. And that one was like really, really good too. But fire pro was the one, like if you could get it, um, I think I had it um, on a modded Game Boy Advanced. That's wild. Like, so where did you kind of like get into this? Was it through the internet? Just reading about this sort of side of things on message boards? Because this is like for Fire Pro. Yeah, like where are you kind of hearing about Fire Pro stuff? I, like, I mean, just yeah, I guess so. Like, I was, I was really into wrestling back then. Yeah. Um, and um, I just searched around, I guess, and I looked. You know, you always look up like okay, if I'm, you know, really now into wrestling games and I know there's wrestling games out there, what are the top 10 wrestling games? And it was like Fire Pro was always number one and, you know, No Mercy was number two and then um, the WCW one was number three. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it kind of went from there and they never ma- really made a- another good one. But um, yeah, and I just dove into Fire Pro and obsessively made myself into a wrestler. My finishing move was always a sleeper hold. Yeah, and it's so funny because wrestling fans have been asking for that engine ever since you know like for- i thought about it i did and um i actually pitched it to some guys ages ago because i was so into it because it's just so cool but it's kind of a hard sell because it's so fucking complicated it's yeah. like the most it's you know wrestling games are already pretty niche right because mm-hmm. it, it mostly it's just appealing to fans, like people who aren't just into the technical wrestling aspects of something like Fire Pro that's not rebranded, you know, with a bunch of popular wrestlers on it, it's not going to sell. Um, but it's such a cool engine. Like you could utilize it for other things. You could make some sort of new age, you know, uh, new brawler type, almost like Final Fight arcade or whatever. And you could you could utilize the Fire Pro depth of combat in it. I think that would be fucking amazing. Yeah, that'd be um, amazing. And it, yeah, it would it would totally fly now. I think that's t- totally right for the picking. You know, uh, 
Yeah. I mean, I'd do it if I wasn't, you know, swamped with everything else I want to do. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like with, um, with video games, it's, it's just like, like this, as someone like myself, like it's finding games where it is about playing them again, you know, where I don't want to watch, I don't want to watch a movie where I'm pressing one button to activate the next scene. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, and there's obviously that very appealing to a lot of people out there, but like, it was almost like a process of elimination that kind of happened where, you know, I felt like all the engines that I loved were kind of just being phased out and the engines that were coming in were just like, not meant for me. No. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, and I, and I hate to be like, I hate even talking about interviews because I don't want to come up like this indie elitist snob because I love all video games. I do. And I try my best to understand what makes them good. It's the same thing about like pop music and stuff. Well, I was going like, to say, you're I, on a punk podcast. Like we are the snobbiest people. Yeah, sure. <laughs> the rock and roll music out there. But it's like, it's like, you know, as a musician, when something is popular, I mean, for me anyway. So like I, even with music, if somebody if something is like, I don't know what the fuck that is. Who the fuck is this person on TV? I don't know who the fuck this mm -hmm. is. It's like, mm -hmm. let's look it up. And they made this song and I'm listening to it. I want to understand. And I think I usually can understand why this song is popular and why this works. And I feel like it in some ways makes me, will make me a better artist in the end, having experienced these things, even though I don't like them. And it's the same thing with video games. Like I try so hard <laughs> to understand why people like X, Y, Z, and there are just so many games that rub me the wrong way that I feel like are that sell so well. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's just like, I don't know. Um, and it's always story driven. It's always the story driven game where it's like, if I wanted to be moved by a story, I would watch, I mean, an accomplished, very accomplished filmmaker um, who gives me a bite-sized version of that, you know, um, not, not, this thing that I'm not actually in control over and I don't actually do anything. Like I'm not impressed by that. And in, in a ways it angers me because I see how much fucking money and voice acting and like all the shit that they're pouring into this and thinking like, Oh my God, imagine if just like an innovative idea, if they based it off of something crazy like that, like what they could do, like they could really make some cool shit. But again, like I said, they don't because they cannot take a risk. They're going to make Red Dead Redemption 4. They're going to make what the fuck ever else. And um, and everybody's going to play it. And, you know, and if it's really popular, I'll buy it and then be mad <laughs> that I did. <laughs> um, I just can't, I can't, I can't swing it. And there's just so many games where like people will gush and people that I respect too, like people will gush over something and I, I just can't do it. I, maybe it's, maybe it's also the fact that my life is different now too. It's like having two kids um and a wife in a house and uh responsibilities and and I and work and I live my work when I have 15 or 20 minutes to sit down with something to to play I want to feel like the experience I feel fulfilled I don't mm. want to fucking wait through a cutscene I don't want to feel like I'm being talked to like I'm stupid mm -hmm. you know and and I feel like a lot of that is there and that's something I'm I try to be as careful as possible with like, even when it comes to instructions, I don't like putting instructions in my games. Um, I feel like I respect the player enough to know. And I, res and I push myself. Like, I feel like a failure as a designer, if the person doesn't understand how to play by playing it. And that's like, that's what it is. And it's like, 
you want it's like sitting down with somebody with a song that you wrote and explaining why they should feel have an emotional feeling towards it you know what i mean it's like it's like you know the long-winded explanation of why something's deep it's like you just don't do that it's just like it you you let it happen and you 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 paint the picture as well as you possibly can for the to the best of your ability so they experience the game and not look at it while it's playing itself um and that's my my hoity-toity rant (laughs) my my elitist snobbish (laughs) but i think that also goes why to why like we were talking in the very beginning like about why watching other people play video games is so popular you know like it's much more interesting to no, no, I'm not more for interesting. It's much more easy to just sit there and watch something happen. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Than to actually do it, right? And, and and you also check off the social aspect too, right? Because a lot yeah. of people love that social interaction, just hearing somebody speak. Um, yeah. Well, that's what I was going to say. Is that it, maybe it kind of feels like that's going to be the end of, of, of like this style of video game is like the next generation of kids. Like I look at my my kids they don't really engage with those types of games. Like for them, it's, it's much more like the social aspect of playing with their friends, a video yeah, game yeah. at the same mm-hmm. time or engaging with like, and that's a great direction to go. Like yeah. I would love for the future to be, you know, social multiplayer games and, you know, pick up and play experiences. Yeah. And I kind of think it also, I was thinking about this today. Also, like the idea of like YouTube and just sort of the democratization of celebrity that's kind of happening right now yeah. where we're looking, you know, like right now it's pretty bleak when you look at, you know, Pootie pie and stuff like that. But like, we're going to enter an era where there's just going to be so flooded because every single kid wants to be a YouTuber now. Oh yeah. That it's just going to be so diluted that there's not going to be room for despot YouTubers because everyone's going to be a YouTuber. It's yeah. It's, it's um one of the most disheartening things uh was how quickly like there was a pocket of time again between 20 i would i would say just two years uh 2010 11 and 12 um those years kids would say i want to be a game developer yeah and then it died (laughs) that was that was it and now they've moved on to streamer and nobody says they want to be a game developer anymore at all which i'm I'm gonna say it because i'm i'm now like obsessed with the idea of game development like what goes into being a game developer like what like and obviously don't give me away like you don't have to go into too much detail but just like what what is it a lonely thing (laughs) (laughs) i'm gonna paint a picture for you okay you sit alone in a room making music with other people remotely for three years and you don't ever tour. <laughs> that sounds like heaven. <laughs> you, are, you are really selling this to me. Right that's what I would say. Do it. Do it. No, it's, it's um, honestly, in order, to, I, I feel anyway, in order to be a successful independent developer or an artist in general, you need to live your work. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to avoid you need to, and you have to sacrifice a great deal to do it, you know? And, and my sacrifice was, I mean, I don't know how my relationship with my wife has worked for 22 years, but it somehow has. And for a good chunk, I would say a good eight years, you know, my life was go 
I had, I had an office with somebody downtown and I would make games with him. That was our, our company was called cryptic C. So I'd go down there. I'd work. Um, I'd come home. I'd eat dinner. I'd go back to work on my own projects. She'd go to bed. I'd stay up, you know, and it was like the most minor interactions. And, and then the weekends I would try my fucking best to make sure that she knew that I cared and I was there and, you know, everything else like that. But for, for a very long period of time, it was like, it's a, a lonely, but a comfortingly lonely experience for me. I I was always alone. So, uh, you know, it wasn't super bad, but from other people's perspective, it's, it can get fucking dark and there's people lose their minds all the time. There's just a countless number of other artists in general, independent developers who really cave in on themselves because of you just work constantly. You just, you are, when you're independent, you're taking the roles of many people, you know, like I'm, I'm the writer, I'm the illustrator, I'm the animator, I'm the character designer, I'm the game developer, like I'm the game designer, I'm the level designer, I am the logo designer, I'm the guy who curates the music, I'm the guy who does all the business, I'm the guy who does, you know, it's just like, you you wear so many hats that, you know, a large group of people would, that it just consumes your every being, um, your every waking moment. that's what it's like. <laughs> that's, that's, that's how it feels. The, te- the technical stuff is it's, it's, it's whatever. Like I love what I do. Absolutely. Like I, if I wasn't, if I couldn't do creative things for a living, I think I probably wouldn't have survived my teen years. Mm. Like I needed that creative outlet or I would have just, I'd have been done. Like I walked the line through high school and it was the only thing that made me feel like I was worth anything. Um, and it made me feel like good. <laughs> I feel very good when I'm creating stuff and that's why I create it. And making indie games just means doing it a lot. Um, and really trying overanalyzing every aspect of what you're doing, trying to still keep in mind the risks involved financially, how much you want to invest and how much you could possibly make back being realistic about those things, being really harsh on yourself. You know, I'm, I'm my hardest critic by far, um, which makes it easy. Like when you release something, cause it's like, well, they're not going to give me as bad of a review as I'd give myself. So <laughs> it's nothing to worry about. Is there like a pitchfork for video games? Um, yeah, they come and go. Okay. Um, they don't, they don't even like, they've gone into this, like, no, we no longer review games numbers, fuck numbers. It's just about the words now. Like the, uh, it really is. They like a lot of places just, there was a pocket of time. Like when I was developing something for a few years and I was kind of out of the game because I don't like it. Like I fucking absolutely can't stand the scene. Um, So I was just like, I'm working. And then I come back in and it's like, oh, um, I'm going to contact on my press people and be like, hey, you want to review my game? And they're like, we don't review games anymore. It's like, what do you do? What do you do? What do you mean? They're like, we do articles. It's like, okay. So this, oh, so they write an article about the game. Yeah, they write an article about the game. They don't do reviews. They don't do numbers. They don't. No one, no one reads it. <laughs> no one, no one, uh, no one cares. I mean, it, it's great too because you know that's that's an art in itself. You know, you know, uh, video game journalism is a thing, and um, a lot of people do some really creative and cool shit 
um there have even been some um oh fucking what was his name um fear and loathing the writer hunter s thompson yeah there have been some hunter s thompson-esque characters in the industry that are writers that kind of do some goofy shit out there shit like that but yeah yeah so you know they're doing their thing (laughs) i just uh i just say hey can you help me tell people that this game is out and i you know cross my fingers and usually don't get an email back it's it feels like it's also like a a world that you know because it exists online like there's just so much i imagine like persona posturing like obviously you're in the documentary so you you, and you've been very personal on on interviews and things like that so you're out there but i imagine there's like a a lot of just like people inventing a persona to live behind in in this world because there has been that especially in you know back in the day there were a few like there are a few people who are very about being the uh there still are the rock star game developers yeah you know people like john romero and cliffy cliff blazinski um these guys you know you look at them on twitter and they're definitely like they've got that rock star attitude i think cliff even said like interviews that he felt like (laughs) rock star yeah yeah like in that that and that people should think of you know game developers big game developers like like that like rock stars yeah i think that's like whenever like and you know obviously i remember when chefs were the the new rock stars you know anytime something's a new rock star it's like (laughs) anyone involved yeah everyone's like dude shut it down like that's not Uh, a good thing like that's those are the worst people in our industry like that's we're all trying to avoid becoming that that's our our biggest fear but yeah i mean yeah it's in it's an industry like everything else and it's you know very much the same deal um you know with the music industry except we don't the, the the way the place that we really lucked out was our publishers um like steam kind of saved us yeah. um and when if, if it wasn't for steam we would not have these options we'd all just still be like making absolutely no money at all and just trying to sell things off of our websites or whatever else but it was the fact that steam started selling indie games made it a competitive environment offered developers a huge chunk and made it very public of what they were offering people and then all the consoles followed suit and just also had to do competitive with with them and then suddenly we're making a good chunk of money you know and um <laughs> you guys handled it way better than the music industry did <laughs> like yeah had, yeah well we yeah. came later anyway well the music industry fucking killed it because so the one good thing was that we are a very progressive industry yeah right yeah. so we understand technology yeah and the music industry did not <laughs> are you telling me a bunch of people playing guitars and pedals and tube amplifiers don't understand computers <laughs> <laughs> well it's not so much those people it's the people making money off of you guys you know yeah well they they understand the technology enough to make that money but we well, yeah they, they do but they don't understand it enough to know that like you know digital music is a thing that will happen eventually and we should yeah. probably figure it out i mean they yeah. killed it they destroyed they destroyed it but i mean there's still the whole indie scene it's it's so like i said this before but it's extremely disheartening like whenever i speak to any musician like working with matthias um who is the drummer for sleepy time gorilla museum did you ever see them no phenomenal where are they from um, oakland oh they great. broke up okay. they, they toured for fucking forever but yeah he i mean he told me stuff like so i mean i i hired him on to do um the voiceover when the band broke up um and i love that band and um eventually hired him on to do all the music with um with john and 
and uh, Carla, his wife, um, she did a lot of stuff on it too. And he told me like, like when, the, like we, we released the album online, he's like, I made more today than I made touring for like 10 years. <laughs> like, it's like, <laughs> this is insane. Like, cause you know, they would tour to stay afloat yeah, and, and, and that was it. And then they started having kids and it, and you know, you can't keep touring with a bunch of kids and maintain, you know, healthy relationships, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's kind of looking into that world. It's like so upsetting to me that the people I respect more than anything, like the, the, the medium that inspired me the most, um, doesn't make as much money as it should at all. And it kind of, I guess it never did because there was always the big guy there that was just taking everything from everybody. Yeah. But, but that it's also inspiring to just see so many people doing it quite obviously because they absolutely love doing it. Um, but that's a trade-off, right? Like I, I know I like here I am, you know, my shit's very small by scope comparison, but like, you know, like yet it's, it's hitting someone like you that's hitting a lot more people, you know, it's hitting someone else who's hitting a lot more people. Like it's almost a trade-off. You get to be this like musician. You're never going to, hit these people directly but you'll help inspire people that will do stuff that will hit the masses for sure uh, but also and also like you know the fact that you're selling he like he's selling his music like maybe maybe musicians just lost sight of a new way to reach an audience right like his music is hitting more people now but yeah and it's and it's affecting them right like they 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 are affected by this music so which is ultimately our goal with art right is to affect yeah. people and i and i and i would and i that's the one thing that you know all musicians especially like uh amazing musicians that are that are listening and listen to this it's like even if it's not your wheelhouse maybe reach out to some game developers because like dude there's just so much am- amazing music out there that can be made hugely popular <laughs> by putting it in a game oh god like, yeah <laughs> imagine like well you know you know how even if so okay so i absolutely love your band absolutely like y- the the music you guys write is some of the coolest and move most moving um music i've listened to in a while and um and i i, I think i started out with um ship the black albino bones one yeah on uh chemistry of common life chemistry yeah and um i remember listening to it and just loving it and the guy i worked with did not Um, (laughs) (laughs) and i remember it being kind of a hard sell (laughs) and um but after he listened to it a few times he started to really love it and it's in you it's like when you put music in a video game like that and you kind of almost force people to listen to something a few times you when when you are a multi-layered kind of um out there band and you've got an out there sound you'd be surprised how many people you can reach and i've kind of done that with a lot of my games where i just like really like a song like i think i way back in the day i contacted kata i don't even know if he's still active but um he was on epic hack um mm. And, you know, I think it, a lot of people know about his music from that game. And, and I've, I've, I've done it a few different times. Um, uh, my first game 
we pilfered um, music from Stratosphere. Do you remember that band? Sounds very familiar. They're a very bungle-esque band. Okay. Um, And they were based in Santa Cruz. And um, yeah, you know, I've been working with Matthias for forever at this point, but yeah, I think, I think, I wish there was better fucking music in video games. It's just too beepy boopy for my tastes. I think the problem is that like uh, people in music, it's just, you get up so much in your own head. You know, like you spend all this time on tour and like people play video games, you know, like that's the thing that it, it is so conducive with being on the road and and it is such a part of the life of being on the road. It's just that like you get so in your own head that you don't even think like, yeah, like maybe I should try and reach out and maybe contribute to some <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. video games that I'm playing. I just think it's and it's it's just like this stream to hit as you're saying, like way more people, like there's just like an audience out there that will respond to stuff that just won't get exposed to it otherwise. And that's what it's ultimately about. So when she gets home from school, she does that. And then she's like, I want my headphones and the iPad. And she listens to music (laughs) and she, she listens to whatever's there. So she listens to our whole iTunes library, right? (laughs) She searches through it and she clicks the visuals and stuff like this. And I fucking caught her listening to Teenage Riot by Sonic Youth. That's awesome. Singing to it. And I'm like, what? Like, I know what she's singing. And it's like, okay. And you know, it just blows me away. And it's just, it's nice to know that there's, you know, somebody in this family who's, you know, my wife likes music, but not like me. Like, she's like, you like music to slit your wrists by. I'm like, yes, I do. Because <laughs> it keeps me from doing so. But um, yeah, like my daughter is like, I'm, I'm in awe. And I have so much hope uh, for the future because I can see that um, the music is touching her in, in a similar way that it did to me. But she's fucking five. Our, our, uh, my kids have no interest in music at all. Like they like, they like, <laughs> when I say they have no interest in music, they have no interest in music that I like. They definitely yeah. are never like, Hey dad, let's check out your playlist. It's always like <laughs> 21 pilots, like, like <laughs> Nasa Lex. That, oh, like, there's, there's, there's like Jojo Siwa, of course, pops oh, yeah. on every once in a while, yeah. you know, and, uh, troll soundtrack, which is not that bad. We've um, had to listen to a lot of the troll soundtrack. The first soundtrack wasn't bad. I'm not I, I, a key, I'm not a fan of the second soundtrack. I like my favorite is the Teen Titans soundtrack, and there's that weird little yachty where he does like the Teen Titans theme song. He and does, he, yeah, and you can hear he's like phoning it in, like he's definitely just cashing a check <laughs> with his version, but it's so awesome because of that. That is awesome. I put that in the, on in the car, and the kids are like, "Why this version, Dad?" <laughs> <laughs> um there was a point to what i was saying i don't remember what i was actually transitioning into oh sorry Um, i cut you off on that one. no no it was before that too i just went off on his loving music what peach is doing um there was a point (laughs) (laughs) i can't fucking remember well i think i think i i we have hope for the generation in in the same way that i have no hope for the generation because of (laughs) sure yeah i'll conclude it like that it it does give me hope because she doesn't care about video games at all she doesn't care about YouTube that much at all. She cares about music and she asks for me to put music on when she's doing things. And that's, I have hope. <laughs> I have hope for the future and, you know, people getting really fucking into music again, because I feel like 
I feel like I noticed that too. I don't think I realized it. I, I didn't realize that I went through a huge chunk of my life assuming that everybody felt music the same way I did and cared about it in the same way I did. And I found out real quick, especially working with people when I'm like, check this out. And they're like, yeah, I'm fucking, I don't fucking care. You know, they're not listening to it. Even the people who like say that they care about music. And I'm like, I was like, Oh, you know, I'm that fucking guy who, who wakes my wife up. Like I, I somehow, so I was a big at the, well, am at the big at the drive-in fan yes and um i um knew of fugazi but i didn't listen to them enough to realize how much they were inspired by fugazi um and i listened to their last album and there's a song what the fuck song is it it's not epic problem um god i gotta look it up oh last at the drive-in record no fugazi oh last fugazi record i that's this is one of my weak spots in knowledge. Okay, well, there's a there's a fucking song um, where I got I need I need it. I um, uh, I can I edit it. it. Don't worry. I'm gonna, I'm gonna edit this all together. So <laughs> it'll it'll sound very flowy by the time you hear it. It'll just go. Bah. Yeah, no, it'll be no. Yeah, don't Full worry. disclosure. Full disclosure. This if you haven't heard this song, you need to hear the song. I woke my wife up in the middle of the night because this song was so powerful to me. It was out of fucking control. Like I was like, holy fucking shit. This song is amazing. Um, I'm that kind of guy. I'm the guy, like, I'm the guy who was like, I I stop myself when somebody comes in the house and I have headphones and I'm like, you need to listen to this song because I I've experienced that guy before and he's a fucking weirdo. He's the weird <laughs> uncle who's like put on these headphones and listen to Pink Floyd really loud. Um, you know, I'm I'm not there, but I'm I'm definitely that kind of guy who's like I'm feeling this and I want every, I want everybody to feel what I'm feeling. <laughs> I I think it's I wonder what the kids like the reason you, your kids have no interest in video games and my kids are obsessed with it is in the same way my kids have rejected all music is it's because <laughs> It's because that's like what takes us, I don't know, like that's, that's our job. That's the other competing focus in our lives. And the kid, you know, not, not obviously like listening to it, but making it or being involved in it or, or not necessarily playing them. I mean, um, but I just, I wonder if that's like the thing, because I really do wonder why my kids have no fucking interest in this shit at all. Yeah. It's weird. They're surrounded it's... by records, like the coolest records, dude. Like I, I swear <laughs> we could like. You know, anytime I'm like, I'm like, do you guys want to come downstairs and listen to records? It's just like, ah, no, nah. there's like no way, Dad. I'm going to the basement with you, <laughs> listen to records. Come on, man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess it's a, it, you know, I, I I lucked out there and the 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 stars lied. Who knows? I mean, she might just fucking move on. But she always, I played a lot of music videos for her as a baby, and she's yeah. like rock out to them on the ground, and I was like, oh, this is gonna be like its own little thing. But she's, <laughs> it's it's definitely kind of a. Uh, carried through yeah hopefully hopefully she'll be able to have that outlet because it was definitely one that i i enjoyed greatly i'd love to be able to share stuff with her when i get older and like yeah well she'll probably already fucking heard it all in the car a million times (laughs) that's exactly no i find uh i find in the car i'm never allowed to play the music well i I put it on but there's definitely like a lot of protest it's definitely uh they do not like when my playlist gets on there it's a uh, (laughs) hard revolt i tried i made a playlist for one of my nephews who's super into punk um and uh shout out to brayden he's probably listening to this episode and uh i made him this this playlist it's like a history of punk and i put it on in the car today and i think we got like four 
four songs in before they realize what was up. So are you, so, okay. Are you more into the old school bass chords, you know, quick song screaming punk? I'm into everything. I'm okay. literally into this genre, uh, like as a whole now, like there's even shit that I, at one point I would have been like, I cannot stomach this. I have no time for this. <laughs> That I now like, I think it's a lot of it's through doing this podcast that now I'm like, I have an appreciation for this. Even if I don't want to listen to it, like I can see how it fits into the puzzle now. As long as I can trace it back to punk in some way, I'm all there for it. Like other stuff, there, <laughs> okay. I've got, there's got to be like others, other metrics involved. If something's outside of punk, it's like a lot more of an alchemy situation before I like, like you were saying earlier about pop music, like I can normally understand why people like it but it doesn't necessarily appeal to me. But as, if it's something that I connect back to punk, I'm like, okay, I can listen to this. I can try and I need to try and fit into the puzzle somehow. Well, yeah, yeah it's good too. <laughs> I just always wondered like, what um, do you gravitate towards more? Of? I, because the, the fucked up is such a, a unique band. And I always try to like, when I'm talking to people, like trying to compare it, I'm like, who do, what do I compare it to? Cause it's hard to compare it to stuff, but like it's, it has that um, sweet and sour element to it, <laughs> yeah. which is a really nice, uh, a really nice mix, which I, I always really enjoy. Um, and you can, you can really toy with people's emotions when you do that, because when you go sandpaper, spit in sandpaper and then and then out of nowhere it's like feathers and in 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 rain <laughs> yeah yeah um and uh it's just it's so just the, the way you guys play with that like um there's just so many elements of different bands that i i love um all kind of together and you've got that jesus lizard element too where you're not singing you're kind of talking <laughs> uh in an angry way and um you can't sing along completely and then the chorus cuts in and then you can, it's just like, I don't know. It's, it's uh it's super cool. Um, that's yeah. well, I appreciate that. Thank you. That, 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 but that Jesus is definitely an influence that's in there. hundred percent. David Yao seeing him as like a kid at that Lollapalooza that they did. And that was my first time ever seeing him live. I wasn't cool enough to go before that or anything, <laughs> um, but seeing him there and just like seeing that performance and being like, yeah, like I, I couldn't see myself doing what Axel Rose did because I, I didn't physically look yeah, like yeah. Axel Rose, but I could see myself doing what David Yao did. Even though I didn't physically look like David Yao, I could still see myself doing that. You know, that was like a, a real like in moment. And it's funny because the other bands I played that day were like the Mighty May Boss Tones, and I'm like, nope, <laughs> couldn't pull a suit off. Uh, Hole, I'm like, nope, couldn't be Courtney Love, couldn't be Beck. But could, but I could definitely David Yao. So like, it's funny you said that because that is certainly in there. That makes sense. I, I've been thinking about that a lot too. Um, I never even think about that though as it being an influence. But yeah, when you brought it up there, I'm like, yeah, you know what? I have to kind of admit that is certainly a big influence. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I just, I mean, there's not many other bands that you can kind of pull from that are kind of like that, where like it the music's going and then the singer's doing their thing. Yeah. And they, if you took them apart, it would seem like completely different things. 
mm-hmm. but you put them together and somehow it's all working out and it's um it's an it's nice <laughs> I, want, <laughs> I really i really enjoy it um i'm definitely i'm definitely excited for everything you do even like i i of course like you know i can't i i can't not like the hooks i like the hooks yeah. um, um i'm a uh I really like Year of the Hair. I think that's my favorite album of yours. Um, I, I, yeah, like I, <laughs> I don't even know. I don't know if I've ever heard Year of the Hair. To be honest with you, I don't have a copy <laughs> of it um, outside the studio. What do it's we good. Get it? I, I thank you. I, I, I very much appreciate this, and I, I definitely now want to hear it. Like... I like. I like. I like. I like when you draw it out. I mean, there's my the one yeah. the one issue that I have with that is that, it, that there's a gap in the tracks it, like there's a empty space where i feel like it should i want it to i want it to breathe into the the next thing next part, yeah yeah but um no yeah i think no, there's I probably love... an edit though where it is one consistent song i wouldn't doubt I'm it. mistaken because i i think i think we did version there's like a, a few different versions of it that are going to be coming out um and uh of horse i mean and uh there's one that's 88 tracks uh that's all like one continuous <laughs> thing that's for the streaming what? well that's for the streaming services is the 88 track of course version. of course that's like when uh melvin's did uh amazon or what yeah. i think it was called that was the fucking biggest fuck you i mean they've done some i so i'm a i well i was a rabid melvin's collector yeah um, really and i had everything yes i sold i had to sell it all in order to make super meat boy i had to sell so much shit but um i had every melvin's album at the time i even i even met the band once um uh which is a whole other thing but uh yeah and i i mean i had fucking i had prick which is not an album yeah (laughs) (laughs) um you know i I had there was there was one fucking album when they one of the tracks was just all the other tracks backwards (laughs) there were big it was called all all at once i believe but i mean i i i also like i like people fucking with the medium yeah you know i um I was a huge fan. Definitely never heard of this, but there's a there was an indie um, that uh, indie TV show that found success in um, in the Bay Area and in in most of California called Fishmasters. It was on at one in the morning, um, and I absolutely adored it. And it would fuck with the fact that people couldn't fast forward or rewind. Um, and there was an episode where the whole time they said that there was this thing that was going to happen. And all they did was just do this like dead screen where it was just like somebody going, nee, 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 nee. and then like somebody saying the Fishmaster's spectacular extravaganza will be back, you know, in, in, in this many minutes it's coming. And then it did, they did that for a fucking half an hour. <laughs> and at the end, during the credits, you see them walking down the street with nobody around them. And that was it. And it was just like, ah, glorious <laughs> like this is these are these are people who understand what's going on and what, what what they can do to fuck with people when it comes to the medium and there's something there's was something public f- access show like where was this it show? wasn't it got produced the whole thing was um the guy the guy who did it worked for uh, um kseo um at the time which was like a, the, the news the the station okay. um and they were like Hey, I'm doing this goofy fucking kind of public access thing um, with with my friend who also works here. You got a slot for me, and somehow they got a slot after Saturday Night Live only locally um, down in Santa Barbara, and it got huge. It got like people started loving it, and it was great. It was fantastic. It was just a parody of fishing show where they didn't actually fish, and it was just goofy as fuck. 
but um what year is this what like time 92 to 96 so it's almost like what kids in the hall would have been here like i guess type thing kids in the hall was big this was like nobody even it was on at one in the morning more like tom sorry tom what like tom green would have been like here oh yeah yeah so yeah when he first started because i was like just public access but this isn't public access but i eventually got a network tom green up yeah for sure and it got got over and it actually got like better ratings and everything else it was on at one in the morning on saturday um but yeah yeah, did those guys go on to anything else type thing afterwards um no no wow that's very interesting I, I gotta look this up now <laughs> thank you for turning it's it's this. it's quite obscure <laughs> yeah but um no yeah i was all about it i was a rabid fish masters fan as well um even to the point where like my my dream was i would love to meet carl the creator of it and for uh, my birthday my wife surprised me and actually had him come up and and have dinner we went out to eat sushi and he just he showed up and i was like what the fuck is going on <laughs> Like, this is my like ultimate hero and he's like here and like it was super fucking cool i actually got the shirt that he wear that he wore during the show i have it like framed um it, that's it was, wild so is it like a cult thing for like i guess like so local in, in it was it was it was it was a super obscure anything that was only for california for the most part i think they got as far as texas once when they got syndicated a little bit wider Okay. But then it kind of petered out, but it never really, uh, it never really went anywhere. And then it was really depressing when it slowly started to die different places. And then Santa Cruz stopped having it. And I think it went on a few more seasons that was just Santa Barbara. Um, and then the, you know, the band broke up and that was the wow, end of it. Wow. That is fascinating. But yeah, I mean, I, I think like over, over the years as a kid, I was just touched by different things that were very yeah. indie, like very punk and very out there. And so inspiring and the one thing that i wanted to do with my life was that all i want to do is create my stuff and hopefully maybe maybe make a living um i was fine with being poor um because i was always poor (laughs) so you know i knew how to live poor and and um as long as i could create stuff and um you know be with my wife i was going to be happy enough to keep on moving and seeing so many you know kind of independent things like i said like in the beginning like spike and mike and stuff like you see those things and you're like you know one or two dudes made this and it's so possible to do like you just gotta wait for your opportunity you know you, you pay your dues and you cross your fingers and you wait and you know you stand the test of time and, and hopefully you get an opportunity to kind of be self-sustainable yeah and like and believe in yourself right like i think that's the thing that ultimately you entered an industry when there was no industry right like it's like yeah. you just did this because you believed in this thing and the industry built itself around you well obviously you did your part but like it's still like something that almost happens in spite of what you're doing yeah for sure it, it's is- weird when people ask me like how'd you get into it it's like i i fell into it i i didn't know i was doing it <laughs> i just fell into it and I did it for eight years before I really made any money at all off of it. And then out of nowhere, opportunities started knocking. Like, it's so fucking weird to be, you know, an early 20s guy and all your peers are co- becoming millionaires. And you're like, what the fuck is going on? Like, yeah. and then, and then it's like, well, I better fucking go for it. Like, this is, this is it. Like I, I, I go for it or I don't like, I, 
and it was, you know, <laughs> it was stressful. <laughs> um, but you know, I, I, I went for it. I rolled the dice and the odds were completely and utterly against us, even to the point where like it was working on super meat boy was so fucking depressing because outside of our producer at Microsoft. So this was, we were going straight through Microsoft. This wasn't steam or anything else like that. This was, we got picked up by the, by a publisher who headhunted me essentially. Like I made, a, um, I made a compilation zine. I made a compilation disc of everything that I had done previously, which was like 30 something games, all my comics, all of whatever else. And I just fucking pushed it hardcore. I sent out press packs to every magazine that existed in uh, 2007 or 2008. And I just, I went hard. I was just like, dude, somebody <laughs> help me. <laughs> I, I swear, like I'm doing stuff that's cool and I want an opportunity. And um, I got a few people that actually contacted me. One of which was the guy I mentioned, Cliff, Cliff, Cliff Blazinski, who made Gears of War. And he's like, you want to contact Microsoft? And I was like, yes, I do. <laughs> and uh, I started working with, um, with Kevin uh, was his name. And, uh, and he seemed to really believe in whatever I wanted to do. And I kind of said, well, I have this, this, this weird little game called meat boy, which seemed to do really well. And it was the game that I had released online for free that had the most play. So we'll just do that. And um, he said, sure. Sounds good. And then I, um, you know, I ran into Tommy who programmed it over the course of two years. And during this two year period, I got told how much we would fail <laughs> by the fucking people who are fucking producing the game. And they put us in this fucking festival um, and they were like, okay, this is the only way to salvage our, our, our investment, which was nothing. Um, and uh, we're going to promote you and you're going to be the final game of the four games and this first game comes out and it fucking bombs. And this was the game that they told us that we would sell. They, they did their metrics and we would sell maybe a fourth of what this game sold. And this game sold nothing. And it was like, Oh my God, <laughs> like I've invested two years in all of our savings, all of the things I owned. I sold all of my Nintendo games. Me and Danielle had a collection of 450 original cartridges for the NES sold all of it i sold all of my cds i sold all of my dvds i sold all of my legos like yeah. everything i had went into this and these fucking people are telling us and they're telling us the reasons too after the fact they're like well we think this game is going to do this much better because it's 3d and your game's 2d your game's out you know this is all passe this is mario brothers no one's going to want to play this retro game um it's too hard it's this this and this next game comes out bombs fucking terribly bombs so hard that they pull the promotion so we don't even get a promotion so like i'm losing my fucking mind i'm losing my mind at this point and being like oh my god like we're so fucked and they're documenting this we're just gonna look like huge failures and we couldn't really talk about a lot of this stuff because you know nda at the time or whatever everybody yeah like, who cares anymore but um yeah like the whole time there was like well you know you're not gonna do well but our guy like kevin was like no i believe in the game and like he had other games that he published that were really out there that did pretty well and um we came out and fucking crushed the the shit out of that stuff like it did really really well on that system and it it, it destroyed those two games like 10 times what both of them sold like and 
and then they took credit for it and they said that they it, like they spun the whole thing and they're like yeah and 2d indie games are in now and you know and then who the person who fucking talked shit the whole time went on and moved on to another company with with that on their resume saying that they were the reason why super meat boy is fucking successful <laughs> it's <just> fucking insane <laughs> like yeah. Yeah. it was it was a it was an insane experience and it went from it's such a roller coaster ride like i was losing my mind Danielle so what, would have to talk me off the roof every fucking night she'd be like calm down everything's gonna be because i was like I'm, a, I'm gonna be a fucking joke like everybody's looking at me and i'm gonna fail and they're saying i'm gonna fail and all this other shit and it was just like total nightmare mode i wasn't sleeping i felt like i was gonna have a heart attack every fucking day i'd gained so much weight i was just i was i was a mess well yeah and I, so much like there's a lot on the line like it's different than putting out a record well i guess it's like there's stakes when you put out a record because like if it does get slammed like you're not going to get booked on festivals you're not going to necessarily get yeah yeah people coming out to see you so there is that kind of stakes but it just feels i guess it's a lot lower stakes because the numbers are not the same yeah and i, I mean i i literally invested everything everything and yeah. it, in the midst in the midst of it i had to have um emergency gallbladder surgery because i was such a fucking fat ass <laughs> that's what happens when you only eat the five dollar little caesar's pizza yeah. for lunch and dinner yeah but it's so yeah. cheap that's ten dollars <laughs> yeah. that's I've a deal Mc like i've been mcdonald's for like a week straight on the road at times in my life so i definitely can relate to the poor eating choices for your art yeah i yeah i was hospitalized for that i was gonna wow. die yeah. um i had been putting it off forever and i had convinced myself that i had cancer or something and it's Holy like shit. i'll just make it through this and then I'll get insurance and, um, and I'll be okay. Um, but no. And in the, but the cool, the fucking amazing thing was that I, um, so I, I had, I had what I had in savings to get me through the next year of development. Um, the bank that I had to show like proof of, of, of funds and the, the people who came, cause I didn't have insurance. They're like, you would make too much money in order to uh, for us to write this off and i'm like no i don't i don't like how can i prove this to you like i'm below the poverty line like i do look at my taxes like yeah i don't have any money they're like well why do you have you know seven thousand dollars in your savings like that's what i'm going to have to live off for for the next year that's it and i'm it's me and my wife that's everything that we have um and i was able to just like talk to enough people that um they reduced the cost it was like something like 50 or 60 grand and they reduced it to 15 or something and then like unbeknownst to me while i was you know out of it for the days that i was in the hospital um, my wife had posted about what was going on and a bunch of fans donated like 10 grand and um it, it would that because of that i was able to get through development without completely going into heavy heavy debt um which was quite quite amazing it was an emotional roller coaster that experience was uh was insane it's like looking back it seems like i didn't actually live it it feels like there's such an intense community around the around well obviously the stuff you develop but like certainly specific games as well like it just feels like like was there there's like it seems like especially in the documentary there's like huge anticipation for super meat boy coming out and this is obviously like the game that made you too so already there's like a 
a thing where well, I don't say made you. I mean, like, but this is the game that put you on the map. I should say. No, it. I mean, it is. It was. It's the game. Yeah, it is the game that made me. But like, but like, but you know, and it's. But there's already like such a fan base based on the stuff you've done before. Like you're coming into this, like, you know, the the, the guy with like the super hot EPs dropping the first big double album. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All eyes, all eyes, all eyes on me. Yeah. Um yeah uh i just i remember talking with my wife and because you know santa cruz well it's expensive in canada so you guys can relate but santa cruz is like one of in in the top three or four most expensive places to live in the united states Mm -hmm. and um so yeah living here is pretty insane rent was pretty insane but the highest we hope i hope that i would be able to make my investment back and maybe be able to put down on a mobile home in watsonville which is like kind of you know the poor area right here and um yeah it fucking completely changed like it was it was um a surreal life-changing experience that wasn't really for the better <laughs> i mean yeah. i i very much appreciate um the the ability now the th- thing i love about it, obviously security you know, and being able to put, actually have a home in the United States is insane. Um, and being able to have that is, is fantastic. And then the security to be able to take risks and do more crazy art and weird shit and whatever else it, it, I'm all about it, but Holy shit. I'll tell you right now. It's, I understand the whole rapper situation when rappers get rich because growing up poor um, and then making money, your fucking family will turn on you <laughs> and fucking descend on you. Um, and you will lose out on a lot. <laughs> like suddenly people will just stop talking to you if you don't give them money. Yeah. Um, and uh, that was a whole experience in itself. And it's like, oh my God, is this like really happening? Um, yeah, so that was that was a, a bit of a rough awakening. Um, but it, it's evened out. I mean, it's been it's been 10 years, like uh, 11 years almost. Uh, I think the 11 year anniversary for super meat boy is going to be coming up in October. Um, it's been a long time now. Mm. Um, and the dust has settled enough for me to like understand how to work to, <laughs> to keep people at bay. I guess. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Well, it's like a, like a 10 year learning curve, right. To get, to yeah. I point. mean, I'm still, I'm still learning it too. It's still like, it, you know, when you got, you got family, that's, you know still you know lower than you were in the beginning and they're flannering and you want to help how do you help without enabling and how do you maintain a relationship it's so fucking weird it's just stuff you don't would you don't think about until you're suddenly put in this position where you know money changes everybody's perspective on who you are what you're about and it's it's um kind of terrible you know like i understand how much i need money to live Mm. and i you know i do what i can to you know live correctly i don't know how to better to say it but um it really fucks so much up and like i was saying in the beginning like it it's once you're once you're there and you like find that kind of success you find yourself leaning towards the success And it's, for me, it was just this, like, I don't want to, I don't want to do that. Like, I don't, 
I didn't become successful so I can become more successful. Like that's not, it's not what I want. I want, I want to use that and I want to take risks and I want to grow as an artist and I want to be fulfilled with what I'm doing. And, and it's surprisingly difficult, especially when you're working with other people who want a piece too. (laughs) And you know, they don't want to, it's like trying to pitch a game idea to somebody who's like, Hey, this is the fucking most out there shit I've ever done. It probably is not going to make a lot of money. Like they're going to be involved. They don't want to be involved. (laughs) They're not going to be into that. And it's like, okay, well, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what to do. Um, but at this point you have like this, this fan base, right. For, for you. And, and like, how many of these people are coming to you because they like your approach to gameplay? And how many people are coming to you because they like your approach to, to the art you think? Like, you know, I don't know. I, I, it's, it's a weird thing that in some ways I kind of, I think I've always kind of gotten off on the idea that I was doing something so weird and that people were playing it that wouldn't normally experience that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Like, I really enjoy doing very accessible and innovative designs with very abrasive themes yeah. because I like the idea of like somebody just enjoying video games and hearing that, you know, this is, um, this is something to check out. And then they're forced to see a game with like a naked child crying on shit, you know, you know, and that, that, that it's very, very entertaining <laughs> for me personally. Um, uh, the fact that 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 Binding of Isaac has had any success is like laughable. Um, it's just it's very very weird, <laughs> um, and people don't even see it anymore. They just see the mechanics. You know, they it's kind of like Mario. Like no one sees the drug themes in, in their original Mario Brothers anymore. Yeah. They don't they don't see that. They just see Mario, and they and suddenly mushrooms mean something completely different. Um, and you know, it's the same thing with Isaac where you don't see child abuse. You don't see the kid crying on poop. You don't see naked kids. You don't see decapitated babies. You know, like it's, it's all, it's all just this game world now. And it's somehow completely fine because it's a video game. Um, And kind of like I was alluding to before. And I like, I like fucking around with the medium. I like fucking around with expectations, um, what you can get away with, what's okay. What's not okay. Where, where's the line. Um, Mm -hmm. So I can, you know, step on it. And that's the thing, I guess music is too direct to truly ever be a subversive. I guess there are subversive songs. I shouldn't say that, but like, you know, it's, it's a lot more hard on your sleeve to, so you can't really get that subversive quality to it in the same way you can have subversive filmmaking, you know, you can have subversive, um, TV shows, even like you'd have subversive art, you know, obviously. I think it's subversive in just an abstract way. Like I think music, good, good emotional music um is subliminally you know effective in that way where like you feel it but you don't know why necessarily like you're hearing and that's what i love about music like you don't there's probably a reason why the lyrics are written and all every song but it to the to the listener they're taking they're taking your lyrics they're taking the the bits and pieces that they can understand they're taking the bits, the words they can hear those single words and the way that they're spoken, they're, they're taking them apart and they're reconstructing them into their own lives and their own experiences. They're translating through their own filter and they're feeling something that may have not been intended, but still is there. And it's just kind of like abstract storytelling. 
Mm. Like where you're barfing up emotion and then somebody's, you know, taking it in and, and um, feeling it and experiencing it. And I don't know, it's, um, I mean, I, that's what music is to me. Um, I think, and, that, I, I, and I try and I try to, and I try to abstractly do that <laughs> with, with games. But I think that's maybe because people are looking for it so much more with music, maybe put people put music on a pedestal. So that's why they're, they're always looking for the meaning and sometimes even attributing, attributing meaning where there isn't any, you know, yeah, for sure. Whereas in the video games, like you're saying with Mario and mushrooms, and then you find out like, oh shit, mushrooms are like the only drug that's really accessible in Japan at that time. You know, like I, go yeah. figure like this plays a role in this whole thing. And it's, it's, it's like, yeah, like you're saying, like, I didn't know that till you bring it up right now. And then I'm like, oh shit. Yeah. I'm putting it all together. And in the same way, like with Binding of Isaac, like, you know, people don't necessarily see it because they're not necessarily looking for it, I guess, in the same way they would be if you wrote a song where people are like combing over it, looking for that meaning so they can put it on uh, whatever, a uh, lyric genius or, or. Yeah, yeah. Are that's you, not even um, the website. That's how I touch I am. <laughs> are you, uh, do you listen to much Queens of the Stone Age? Uh, I saw him a lot in the early years, but uh, I can't say I've heard like the last couple records. So like Clock, Clock, like Clockwork was, I think, by far their best album. Yeah. Um, and there's a song on there called I Appear Missing, which I think is one of their is their best song. And I remember when I heard it, it was so fucking depressing. Like it's so emotionally moving and it just felt different. Mm. the album felt different than anything else that they'd done and then i remember hearing the rumors of like they there was some issue of like he wrote the song about dying on a hospital bed and having to be revived um due to like a broken foot or some shit but it felt the song felt like there was more going on it felt there was a lot of allusion to drug use and feeling out of control and all this crazy shit and then it came out that he did have a drug problem then. And that was actually probably more of what was going on. I don't think everything was completely revealed, but then him and his wife split up. And after his wife and them split up, you get its whole other perspective on the song. And you listen to the song again and you hear him talking about their relationship and what had happened affecting them and how, you know, it, it bringing them closer but not in a good way and like maybe it, it just it's all this layered meaning and you you when you when you kind of see it and it all just comes together it just feels so much more moving and true and honest and i think uh that's i i love that about art in general i i love to be able to see an honest depiction of the artist or, or artists artists um involved I mean, that's what you kind of got to go for too. You just, you hope, I think is, I think all artists hope that at least just if, if one person kind of gets it, that's all that really matters. Like yeah. you, you feel that kind of validation because if, if nobody gets it, then you feel like you're just alone in your head. Um, and you, you know, it's easy to lose hold of, you know, reality and what's going on when all you do is just like, don't, don't put your art out there. And I know there's so many people who are so scared to do it. Um, like make something personal and then put it out there and be judged. Um, but it's so, it's so validating to just have one. <laughs> it's all that really matters. Like, um, 
I get I get these random fucking emails sometimes and it, it's surprising how some insignificant email of just somebody saying like something as simple as like you're playing your game and not even not even the themes in my game playing your game help me deal with the loss of my brother and it's just and that's it that's the email and it's just like suddenly i feel like I've, i'm doing something like even if it's just wasting someone's time so they don't have to think about reality you know it's it's enough for me um for sure yeah oh yeah that's that's what we're doing right like that's oh, that's that's what connects all of us from like a deathmatch wrestler uh to a a a kid you know making you know music in their room putting it up on band camp or whatever putting it out there like that that's we're we're all ultimately hoping to help someone be distracted from their reality for that moment that the for duration sure. of our project yeah for sure speaking of wrestling enlightening the mood yeah I want to tell you my, I want to tell you a story that I, I know that you will, and, and you'll be one of few people. Cause I, I have a feeling that you love wrestling. Oh, um, have you seen my wrestling TV show? I have not. What? Oh, I have not. this is the best thing I ever did. This, all the fucked up bullshit. Forget that. This, I, made, <laughs> I made a TV show for vice called the wrestlers and it's a, a 10 part love. Oh, I gotta letter. check it out. Oh, I honestly, not because I'm in it, but just because it was the greatest experience of my fucking life. And I was gifted enough to be involved with luckily very talented filmmakers Yeah, um, that were able to document all the crazy shit that went down. But well, we I definitely, I'll definitely check. So I'm, I'm just now diving back into wrestling. So I was there for the attitude era. Yes. Um, and um, quite honestly, I was there for Mick Foley and that was it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Mick Foley was I, like you said before, like, the equivalent of my David Yao. Like I saw him and I thought if, if this guy who looks like this <laughs> can, <laughs> can be so fucking cool. And, and, you know, I, you know, I have, there's hope, <laughs> there's yeah, hope for yeah, me in the future. Yeah. And um, he, yeah, he was another hero of mine for sure. And like um, I read his book, I was so into it. I wanted to be a wrestler there for quite a, quite a few years. Um, uh, didn't obviously happen for years past and once he stopped wrestling um once he kind of you know retired from actually wrestling i kind of lost interest and moved on and then when i was really little though i used to uh rent the first three wrestlemanias all the time from um this 99 cent rental place i was obsessed <laughs> with that so i was like really into that and uh i don't know what happened i think it was just like wanting to show peach um wrestling and women wrestling just to show her like tough girls doing crazy shit and um I just got sucked back in and I bought like the full WrestleMania box set collection. I started watching <laughs> everything all over again and it was like super nostalgic, but um, a few years, no, a year and a half ago, um, this was another birthday present. Another, Daniel had the, the one, two punch of like uh, Fishmasters Carl meeting. And then she got Mick Foley to do, he, he's on cameo, which yeah. is like, yeah. So she got Mick Foley to not do a message, but actually just call me and talk to me. And I felt like a fucking idiot because I was like, I don't know what I'm supposed to say. But luckily, my wife is like very charismatic and, you know, she's like the pushy attitude type girl. Um, and uh, she did a lot of talking and befriended him enough. And then we he started talking about Santa because he's obsessed with that um, whole thing. 
And uh, he said, and just kind of like casually, like, oh yeah, I, I do. I do Santa stuff every year and it sucks that I can't really do in, in-person Santa stuff this year. And we're like, oh yeah, it's going to suck because Peach is, you know, she's starting to not believe in Santa anymore because her, her cousin's like telling her he's not real and all this other stuff. And we don't, we don't want to completely lose that just yet because she's only five. And he's like, you know what? Let me give you a call when I'm in Santa costume. <laughs> and I'm like, what the fuck is going on? And I'm like, I'm like, you sure and this is like you know in four or five months i'm like he's gonna forget or whatever yes yeah he fucking calls me on like <laughs> two days before christmas and it's like is peach there oh you know like full character it was the most <laughs> magical experience for her ever and i'm in tears like i am like behind the scenes i feel emotional now about it yeah. like the fact that my my daughter doesn't even know and she probably won't know for forever you know but like yeah. how insane is this like, how insane is this? Mick fucking Foley is Santa Claus for my daughter. Like, what a fucking cool guy. Like, he's, like, such a nice guy. Like, I, I it just blo- it blows my mind that somebody can be such a kind and generous person, just so genuine. Like, I, it, it gives me faith. There's just, there's, I know there's just, there's fucking cool people out there and really That's good awesome. people out there. Yeah, and, um, and I hope people don't now think that they could just do a cameo and then get them to call Santa Claus. But, uh, but no, man. Oh man. Yeah. Like you can kind of understand from my perspective. It's just like, I was just like, I I can't process this. This is, you know, the cameo thing was more than enough. Like now, like I'm FaceTiming Mick Foley in Santa costume and he is make, he is, in the most dire time, you know, you know, the heat of COVID here in, in California where we couldn't even fucking go outside. There was a fire that uh, threatened to burn down our house. So we had to actually move out of there. Our, my, my wife had a premature baby um, and we had to go and live in a hotel for a week. And then like we get swept up and we're in this, you know, tiny little apartment that we were staying in for six months and Mick Foley calls me on the fucking phone <laughs> it's all worth it talk. it's like yeah all right this is, things are getting better <laughs> like it's I have I, you know I have I have faith I have faith in, in, in everything all over again and it's uh and I can't I can't really tell anybody else that story who doesn't really like because they're like who the fuck's that I don't well and you say she doesn't she's never going to care what when she sees terry funk versus mick foley in the exploding barbed wire death match <laughs> and she connects the dots oh my god she is it's Dude, blow one, her mind. one time she walked by because i follow him on twitter and one time she walked by and she saw his face and i think she heard him talking because i was like playing <laughs> one of his things yeah. and she goes who's that <laughs> i said that's a wrestler and then i was like and then i just turned to the point of the tv and i just threw some wrestling thing on there so distract her yeah <laughs> i was like oh no she's gonna fucking put it all together uh and then she's gonna be like mick foley's got this gig of santa claus and mick foley's fantasy will come true that he's making kids believe <laughs> well he is i mean he is he's he's legit he is santa yeah. claus that guy yeah. is fucking for real that is awesome and edmund this has been awesome and anytime you want to come back this is going to be i think even once it's edited down one of the longest episodes ever on this show well i I, honestly i mean yeah i had a lot of fun thank you for um sweeping me out of the chaos that is like i'm i'm in super crunch right now like it's nice to get a break um i'm i'm uh i'm such a control freak and the project that i'm working on 
has so many moving parts and I'm working with a guy who has a company that's supposed to be doing all the work. And it's like everything he submits. I'm like, no, <laughs> this, I, let me do it. So I have to like get all this shit ready. And then I have to run this campaign for a month. Um, um, and uh, so thank you. Thank you for, for having me on and, and, you know, it's much, much different podcast than I'm used to. And it's nice to be able to talk about arty farty bullshit that, you know, I try to talk about, and then people are like looking through me and <laughs> I'm just a fucking alien. Thank you, Edmund, for coming on the show. And you heard right there, Edmund's going to be back at some point in the future to talk more about this world. And, uh, yeah, his, his adventures kind of trying to get people involved from the music world in the video game world. He was telling me some funny ones off air, as well. And yeah, I, once again, this is a, a world that was very new to me and I have learned a lot from researching it now. And my kids know about it. My kids were definitely more versed in it, uh, than I ever was. He, he blew my mind he, he later. Anyway, I won't, <laughs> he told me, uh, you know, tell your kids that, uh, I, I met notch and I played version one of Minecraft and I didn't know what that meant. And I told my kids, and oh my God, they are still, they're still bragging about the fact that I know someone who knows Notch and played version one. You know, they're not impressed by anyone else that's been on the show. Like they were impressed by Edmund knowing Notch. So uh, thank you for uh, making me relevant with my kids, Edmund. That I'm definitely uh, scored one with the kids. I'm cool with my kids. All right. Speaking of being cool with the kids, Coming up on the next Turned Out of Punk, which is coming out in a few short days, my my cool friend, my cool buddy, Dallas Green, comes back to the show for a part two and a, a very intense conversation. We have a very intense conversation with each other about, I don't know, just, just uh, what what this journey means and, and, you know, Dallas basically growing up in bands and things like that. So this is a, this is a very interesting episode. So I'm excited for you to hear it. All right. That is it. Uh, remember as always black lives matter. The lives of indigenous people matter. Uh, we need to protect trans kids and we need to help trans people protect themselves. Uh, we, uh, also need to stop hate and violence towards Asian people. And we need to just stop hate and violence towards people that believe in different faiths and, it's, this is not political stuff. Political stuff's like how much money do you spend on road repairs or, or, or money allocation to public services? That's, that's politics. This is, this is just human rights, basic issues, basic stuff. And, uh, unfortunately, uh, it's, it's not understood. So get involved, read up, um, see what you can do. There's lots of organizations that I'm sure. Uh, or in need of, of help or, or need of funds or in need of, you know, there's just, there's a lot of stuff out there that you can do to be involved and, you know, stand up and, and, and say something or do something and just, you know, fuck fascism. That shit sucks. Sucks. You know, fuck Nazis. Fuck all that bullshit. Fuck hate. You know, we want, we want to move past that, you know? Uh, speaking of uh, moving on to things, maybe move on to trying something to do something creative 
You know, just just maybe start a band, start a fanzine, start a start a start a movie. Why don't you make a fucking movie? Make a TV show. You knew that. You just do it on your cell phone. People do that on their cell phone. You know, maybe it's hard to do it on your cell phone. Well, no, I've seen people do it. I've, I've you know, you can do it. Um, but yeah, just just try doing something creative. It'll it'll help your mental health. Um, and speaking of mental health stuff. Try meditating. I've, I've been trying it, and it seems to work for me. Maybe it'll work for you. I didn't believe in it, and it, and once again, it seems to work for me. Um, Trying try to think what else we got to do. Oh, sign your organ donor cards. Got to do that. We got to do that because, like, they don't – when they come looking for those organs, you don't need them. So you just, like, take that shit. Maybe it'll help someone else. And then, you know what? Maybe it will. And give that whole person a whole new life. You know, and if you're holding on to your organs and you're dead, you're like, fuck, I didn't give them away. Well, you wouldn't be thinking that because you'd be dead. But, you know, we all be thinking that. Uh, all right, that's it. I'm excited for you to hear this Dallas one. All right, I love you. Thanks for listening.